you see my face on there. All that matters is what I see, Jason. Yeah, right. So That's I'm good matters. with that. <clears throat> oh, we just got done doing a show. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the show that I want to do is happening Thursday. The show that I want to do is about to happen right now. The show that I, the show, you know, here's the deal. Like, what, like I don't know. So Jeff is a good. I'll tell. I'll talk about Jeff when he gets here. But um, people who write and they have a skill to write and who can communicate well writing, I envy them. I don't have that yet. I'm trying to develop that. And so I find out when I write, all I do is create more of a mess. Okay. You know, so I realize not don't write because it's like <laughs> at least I can clarify when I'm talking to some what I mean by what I say when I say it versus when you write. It's like feels like it's more stonish, which is funny because or yeah, it feels like way more of a stone because I think Jeff Schaefer is like the other way around. He hates dialogue. Okay. Because wait, he is, feels, is Jeff Schaefer the guy we're trying to talk to today? No, no. Jeff Schaefer is the. Um, uh, oh, see, he's the lawyer. Yeah, he's a lawyer. Yeah, yeah. Got it. Got it. Sorry. <clears throat> Wasn't it? Is this guy's name Jeff too? That I'm this guy's on? name is Jeff okay. Wright. Jeff Wright. Okay. Oh, did you guys have Jeff Schaefer on today? No, we didn't. Although okay. I, I can have Jeff Schaefer on constantly. Every day. Yeah. It'd be a great day, for Jeff. <clears throat> so. Uh, Jeff, when I hit, when I texted him, it was right before the show, after I talked to you and he said, uh, um, he was actually in the middle of something and I wrote him the text. I said, Hey, what's up, man? Knox here. Just read your article. Well thought out. I was calling to see if I could get you on, um, KU with me and Jason today. Two reasons. I love you and appreciate your thoughts and I don't write. I talk. And number two, having you on the show with us will hopefully make you reconsider your comments about us being Big Eva, even if nothing else comes out of it. <laughs> it's like I, when I talked to him on the phone, I told him, I was like, bro, the Big Eva comments, bro, calm down. Ah, oh, it hurts so bad. He's like, read what I said, read what I said. <laughs> He's a good dude, man. He's just setting up his... uh his rig in his closet. Yeah. I, I haven't had time to even sit down and think what I would try and write in this situation. I just, just been busy. Yeah. I know. You know, what's so funny was that. So Friday, Saturday, Friday, we do family movie night, but Saturday was uh Friday was actually, no, no. Saturday was Andrew's birthday. And Monday was DJ's birthday. And so between the two birthdays, like I've been trying to get to Luke to talk to him, him as well. But I just haven't had a chance to. Yeah, the the um I, I think it's gonna be I mean, I don't know if there's gonna be any fallout or not. I don't even I don't quite un understand exactly what i did <laughs> there he goes hey um jeff just popped in um neil would you 
Oh, I can't do it because I don't have the controls over here. Haley! Sorry. Just like, what did I just enter? Would you let Jeff in? Or he just popped in. Would you let him in the room? Jeff, I know you're listening. I just want you to know everything's being recorded right now. So I got to give you that caveat right now. So you just popped in. It's all being recorded. Everything's recorded. You've listened to Knox Unplugged before, so you already know that. Jeff, Jason, Jason, Jeff. How y'all doing? Good to meet you, Jeff. Uh-oh, we don't have audio from Jeff. I should check that first. I'm not getting anything. Yeah, we're not getting even levels on the the app here. Mm. <clears throat> Running through. Jeff, maybe try coming up. You say? I can't read it from here. Say it again, Haley. Oh, okay. Uh, let's let, let's send Jeff out the room and let's bring him back. That's how we do everything around here. Our, our IT guy said, have you tried turning it off and turning it back on? <laughs> it's so. always the answer. <laughs> <laughs> See, just tell them to click that link again. I guess I should maybe ask him, like, to test his mic before. Yeah. <laughs> I sent you a uh, link to a guy on LinkedIn that he he does uh, Black Man with a Gun is the name of his company. And he does uh, handgun training in inner cities and helps people get their concealed carry permits. And uh, you should check out what he's doing. He'd be I think he'd be a good interview. Um, his his marketing super good, it just like yeah, solid stuff. Um. He reminds me. It sounds like stuff Maj Ture does. Is that the we, uh, black guns matter? Black, black guns yeah. matter. Yeah, yeah. Black guns matter. Yeah. So he he did some cool things where he put up like pictures of of like senators with guns, and then put himself in the midst of it, and a picture of himself, and he was like. You wouldn't believe how different of a of a reaction these different pictures get. It was really mm. good. So just he he's a big big real smart about his rhetoric on the Second Amendment. Um, yeah, it's it's really good stuff. So I've been following him because his marketing intrigues me. For his there token, you go. So all right, let's see if we we got everything here. Jeff, Can give you me, hear me now. There yeah. we go. Right. That's working. All right. So let just let me just say this real quick about Jeff. So Jeff, how long ago has it been on your podcast, Jeff? Three years now? Like three somewhere? years, something like that. Yeah. yeah. And so I, Jeff is a good dude, man. He's I've been in the trenches with with Jeff and he's just being kind with the SBC stuff and brother held it down going through stuff with Den Hollander and all that stuff. And he was just a kind brother through all of it. So Jeff's a good dude, man. He's one of the guys. It, um, I have a. There's some people I can care less about, like because 
there's other people who I'm like, these are my folks. Like, you know what I mean? Like there's a certain <laughs> group of people, like these are my people. I know I'm not supposed to have favorites, yeah. but I do. And Jeff is Every, one of the guys that are in that. Everybody well, that's, that's not invited on is one of those people that you care less about. That's, that's <laughs> Don't you, I'm not, I'm already getting in trouble because <laughs> I didn't differentiate as I should have. So yeah, yourself but, from uh, me. That's the, yeah. He's all, <laughs> He's also um, a Fight Laffy's Club member. He's going to be at the conference. I still think you're going to be at the conference, right? If so, y'all let me in, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we'll, we'll check you at the door. <laughs> I got that tranny dust. I'm going to be sprinkling on everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and I know he's listened to Knox Unplugged before, and it's like, you know what? He wrote an article. Um, Jeff, what's the title of your article? Cross politics, big Eva moment. That's what it was, and um, and I, I'm really That's, just that title is unnecessarily inflammatory. Mm. Just to start, <laughs> you with. would know about that. You would know about that subject. <laughs> I know. That's my that's my spiritual gift. So. But what? But the reason though I thought was interesting about the article was just that part of it. You got to go if you haven't read the article. I recommend you go read it. I'll have it. It's already. It's kind of making its rounds anyway. I'm sure everybody will read it, but I'll, find, I'll even share it on my Twitter page so people can find it easier. Or we can put it inside the notes here. But um, one of the things that you said in the article was about having the conversation and having the dialogue. And I think you know um, that that's what we're all what we've always been about. And one of the hardest things for us to do at Cross Politics is to get people who are willing to come have that dialogue, have that conversation. Because most people will would really like they don't there's two things. Big Eva, who you're putting us in the camp with, uh at least in the moment with, um, don't want to shine light there. to certain not, quite, not there. quite there. We're getting there. Uh um they don't want to shine light in places where they feel like it would be a threat to them. So they don't intentionally have conversations. I've seen that even inside of reformedums, big Eva. Um, and they don't ever want to be questioned to the point where they have to say, Oh, I have to actually make an argument for that or think through that. And I think that was kind of your points too. Um, and I just wanted to right away say, well, hold on, you know that we're not like that. And we actually appreciate the conversation, the dialogue. And if anybody like, you can have that conversation dialogue with us. And it just so happened that it all worked out where it's like, you just wrote your article that I know about today. I was, we were going to do a Knox Unplugged anyway. And it's like, well, hold on. Well, let's have you come to the table and let's talk to, with each other. If only we had some beers, that'd be great. The other thing I wanted to say is, Jeff, is that um, I am not a writer. So I envy guys like you and Jason and Gabe. I, I talk. I communicate verbally now i don't even do that well so you can imagine how bad my writing is but i but i really rather have the conversation verbally because i feel like i can articulate and communicate what my intentions are about what i'm trying to say best so um with that said let's everybody's kind of already aware of the event kind of want to let you just kind of have the floor for a second and let's walk through the process like what happened or you know maybe not what happened but what the problem is for you. Is that yeah, a good so, place to start? Yeah, that's great. That's great. And um, there's, it's a twofold problem. Um, Let me I, write this I down. Thought, I thought Farley's <laughs> point, um, which is, inter there's a version of it that's really interesting. And that one of the things I appreciate about cross politic is that y'all see the church as central to the life of uh, the world. And so like, it is interesting. Think through theological 
But the thing that I objected to, and I think a lot of us objected to, credo-baptist theology is the cause of the transgender crisis. And um, I guess the the point I would stake out there is that I don't know, I, I talked to Gabe about this a little bit. I don't know a version of cause that doesn't carry culpable. If I cause an avalanche, I'm culpable for the destruction downstream. So that was where I think the argument started. But then there were, uh, there was that follow-up episode you and Toby did. And then Toby released um, a blog post and then Gabe did. And then there's a tweet. And it seemed like there's a whole bunch of us who are like, hey, can we can we handle this uh, assertion that we're the upstream cause, credo-baptists like myself are the upstream cause of the transgender crisis? Instead of saying, well, these guys don't like that somebody threw them a high tight pitch. They don't like being uh, elbowed. You know, hey, we're you know, I think Toby at one time said, like, hey, this is who we are. If you don't like that, find another show. I like that about y'all. That's one of the things that I appreciate y'all bring to the table. And so it's like, no, no, we want to, we want to talk about, are we causing the transgender crisis? We're not worried that you said something mean. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 So, so those were the problems, the two problems. I think the, oh, I, just, Farley's I thought point that was is, just one. Oh, so I thought yeah. it was that, that was all one. Those are two. So yeah. create a, Farley's okay. original point is trouble, but then we come back and hear from cross politic that like, it's really a matter of us, you know, being too fragile. I'm like, I don't think credo Baptists are fragile. Yeah. You know, I, I guess part of it, um, I think Toby was, you know, it's funny. I talked to James. We're going to have James on Thursday. We'll talk about this with him a little bit too. But um, I think there were, and this is Jason, you can jump in here with this. Um, the, the, let me start with Toby stuff. When Toby was talking, um, I think what he is meaning by what he's saying about being rowdy Christians is the fact that, so there was some, even with Gabe, when he's talking about causation, the way that Gabe is using that word and, and, and communicating it is in the same way that responsible, like he's, I think you heard him say that, hey, um, uh, there, while you, you might not be the cause of it, there's a responsibility for it um, or using that interchangeably. I, I don't know how I feel about that quite yet. I, I think what Jason was communicating was something that I would say about any Christian denomination that has been unfaithful in one way or another to biblical doctrine, right? So, you know I mean, what I mean? Like, so, a denomination, we're we talking about a theological. Uh, yeah, I think theological you know, position. Tradition. I, yeah, I, I, I would say theological tradition. Like, you've heard us say before on Cross Politic that, you know, look at look at what you have coming out of the Presbyterian church right now, where you got guys who um, are responsible for, and maybe even the cause of, to use those words interchangeably, of what we see in, in homosexuality, the fact that we have it permeating the culture. And it's like, yeah, like Gabe said in his article, you have women who were trying to get in the pulpit way before you had women trying to get inside of pilot planes. I don't think that's a, a disconnect there. And so there is a responsibility that the church has. And when they give up that responsibility to be faithful to the things of scripture, you're going to have an outcome that flows out to the culture. So we all believe that, right? Like that's, that's not a, okay. And so each in one way or another, each denomination or each uh, theological tradition um, that has been unfaithful is going to have some sort of connection to that in some way. You know what I mean? So I, I don't find that, 
too crazy to believe, <laughs> especially especially if in one way or another we all have enlightenment enlightenment tendencies that are, we are all operating from or trying to get out of in one way or another. Does that make sense? Yeah, man. And see, that's the thing. I, if you saw all the way through the piece, there's a conversation here that I think is super interesting and one I that I think that, we yeah. need, that we need to get to. But I am going to camp out that when you say something is the cause, it necessitates that there's a culpability there. And so like when I hear y'all talking, I think responsibility, self-police, you know, that seems like that was Gabe's real emphasis. I'm with you on that. And I mean, you, you talked about it earlier. I've been trying to work in the SBC on this exact front for a long time. I'm all yeah. about taking responsibility. I'm not about being assigned culpability for uh, something I don't see any kind of logical connection to. I hope, but I mean, I really think that's where no, it does. You know, my group of howlers are, are saying that's where we object. No, I, I want to. Sorry, Jason. If you want to jump in, go ahead. I just want to try and clarify some of the points, especially with Toby. Um, what Toby is trying was trying to communicate, and I was I'd see that it didn't land as well that I thought it would. Which is when you are in a bar and you're having a conversation with your boys, there is a certain kind of um, I want to say like that certain sort of um, grace given to the conversation that we're not inside of an academic room trying to make <clears throat> academic arguments in, in, in that sense. You know what I mean? It's, it, we're not, ha it's, we're having an academic conversation in one sense or an interesting cultural conversation, but we're not being professors in the process. That's what I think he was meaning by like, Hey, we're, we've always been rowdy. We've always been kind of that bar type environment. I don't think he's getting away. I don't think he's trying to say like, um, well, so we can say whatever we want to say. We're saying, hey, there is this dialogue that's happening in a different environment than a, a typical academic environment that we have at CP. And that's what we've always been. Like you said, that's what you've appreciated about us before. So I think that kind of, I think if you think about it in that context, it makes a little more sense of what Toby's trying to communicate, what he's trying to say. Well, I have talked a lot. And Jason, I don't want to crowd you out. So I've got an answer <laughs> to that. But Jason, I'll no, go ahead. because. This is this is Knox and Plug. We've got like four hours or however long <laughs> we want to go. So. No, go ahead, go ahead, Jeff. I want to, yeah, I want to hear your response to that. I honestly don't know how to parse that because you guys don't. Um, I mean, you're you're conversational. You're uh, you're very engaging. Like I don't feel like you have to be an academic to listen and profit from your show. But you're talking about really big ideas. I mean, I, I started listening to the two of you about metaphysics. That's not you know, Moscow must have cooler bars because I don't get in a lot of bar conversations about metaphysics. The physics that's so what most of my bar conversations are just so you know I, well that's why we need more <laughs> moscos um so you're talking about high level stuff you're talking about big ideas and so i, I get you know that maybe you'd want to give some kind of uh paradigm for toby to be like eh, we're not trying to be super precise here um but i do think that it's important to be precise with your terminology when you're talking about big ideas, big consequences for large groups of people. And so like, I, I hear what you're saying, but I don't know how to parse it out and say, well, you know, we didn't, uh, the context didn't dictate that kind of response. I, I feel like if you're talking about big ideas, you're talking about big ideas. It gets big reactions. There hasn't been, I, I don't disagree with that, but I'm saying our, our way of conversing hasn't changed. It's always been that way. Right. And I think that's what Toby's trying to get at. It's like our conversation has always been that type of rowdy conversation. It hasn't been as, you know, I, and here's guys who I credit with being 
um, like Tom Askell and uh, James White and, you know, vote. These, those guys are surgical and they're mm-hmm. surgical. And it's so funny when I talk to them, I don't want to say much because they're so surgical with everything that I, you know, it's, I can feel it. And I appreciate that about them. I've, I've never been that kind of way <laughs> as much as I would like to, but uh, you keep I, underselling like, yourself, man. I've listened no, to you no, too no. much. I, I, there's some things that I can that I've thought through that I'm like, oh, I got that. But there's other things where it's like, I'm even those things that I have. Well, I've never been that type of surgical. I'm way more of like this is why I don't. Again, I said I don't write. I can have these conversations with you back and forth like this, but there's a certain sort of precision that I just I'm I don't have as far as communicating in some ways, right? And so I love that bar type because I can understand what the person means, even though they don't articulate it in a way that might be as academic. And I think that person can understand the way that I communicate and what I mean, even though I'm not being nearly as academic. Yeah, well, again, I'm going to go back to with Toby. Um, I think the fight is on does Jason's idea have merit, right? Right. Like that's where right. I think we want to contest it. Yeah. When yeah. y'all. When y'all go on the show together, I think the and and again I'm I'm happy to hear pushback on this, but I think the the thing I heard y'all saying is, hey, we're rowdy, and I'm like, I don't, I'm happy y'all are rowdy. That's one of the reasons I'm a supporter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I want to have the conversation about whether or not Jason's point stands on its own two feet. No, that, no, that's, that's what, what I'm trying to get, to get at. Yeah, yeah, I just want you to understand yeah. like the context in which. I think Toby and Gabe are trying to communicate their piece. It's not to say, well, we're rowdy, so whatever. I think it's trying to say this is the context in which the conversation is being had so that, you know, it's not at, at a seminary somewhere <laughs> who's, who's sure. teaching. You know, not yet. Right. Yeah, we'll, we'll get there. So anyway, <laughs> but, so that, that was my point in trying to bring that up. Like that is the context in which you're speaking. Now I want to deal with, so just so I understand cradle Baptist theology is the cause of transgenderism. That's really where you want to campaign. You want to say, hey, is there any merit to that? But That's where I think the fight ahead, is just, initially. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Just, I'm affirming what yeah. you're saying. And the, and I, I um, you know, can't speak for Toby or definitely not for Jared. I, we are only recent, recent acquaintances or recent friends, um, but uh, Gabe and David and, Toby are they're longtime friends. And so I do know they also, I mean, we have had the conversations in bars and they've heard me. I mean, I'm a, I'm a comedy writer for a living. Uh, and the most comfortable place I am is with a group of comedians where there's only one job, which is tell the truth in the funniest way possible. Right. So that's, I mean, and so they, they also probably interpreted it through, years of Jason cracking jokes. And so they, so that's, that's probably, you know, that's my fault. And I'm, but I'm, I'm also not a representative of cross politic. I was a guest. So they, uh, so they're taking a lot of heat for my joke, which I also think is true. (laughs) Um, But, you know, was said in that, in that uh, tone and in that moment, you know, but which I would be happy to talk about and and hear how it was understood and versus uh, how it was meant, because that's how you get better at communicating and make sure that the joke lands better next time, you know? <laughs> oh, sure, man. And I again, I get it. I, I, I don't want to refer back to that little piece I wrote too much, but please do. I get what, 
I, I get what you're saying about, hey, it's just me as a guest, but like I'm paying money to Fight Laugh Feast. It's Cross Politics logo on the screen. And the other thing. Oh, totally. That, yeah. I, mean, I, I have seen I, the I Jonathan Lehman episode. I have seen the Greg Johnson episode. Like I know what it is for those guys to give a charitable hearing or a fraternal hearing to something and for them to go, hey, wait a minute, I just heard something that needs to be pushed back on. Right, right. And so I did not see the uh, the pushback response. I saw, oh, I think these guys are, you know, open to this. And I even mentioned, like, yeah, I know that – I know Jason's their boy. Like, I, I feel like that was kind of like a locker room conversation that ramped up. <laughs> but at some point, you got to tap the brakes and be like, hold on, let's – there's people watching, you know, but, and <laughs> what are they going to think? <laughs> How are they going to respond? Well, I so, hope what they're going to think – Go ahead, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I mean, I, I, I hope that they think, wait, is there, you know, any merit to that? You know, that's, that's what, that's I, think what I hope they asking. would think. Yeah, I yeah. think Jeff, Jeff is asking that. And see, so, and Jeff, this is, and I thought Jason explained this, this is what I heard. There is a radical individualism in the way that we understand uh, the sign of the covenant in baptism that creates this idea that I am the one deciding when and how and what uh, or when and how to come to God. Right. And so because of that, because of my decision, I am the one bestowing the reality of the world. And because of that, when you get something like that, and if that's how you're viewing it, then you ultimately are going to have something that comes out into the culture that, that, that's like Jason said, it's, it's Baptistic theology secularized so that this radical individualism starts working its way out into how we see ourselves in the cosmos, and I get to decide then, am I going to be a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, right? And so there is that. So what I understood Jason to be saying wasn't any different that I couldn't apply to anybody else at that point, any other theological tradition, right? Yeah, you were talking about Baptists. I mean, you could have been talking about Anglicans, but you were talking about Baptists. And so the Baptists But here's my... Right, yeah, which is... is Fine. That's what Twitter was invented for. But my question is, has the Baptist church been the majority religion in America in in its current cultural forming state? Yeah. So Gabe smartened me up to this. And I think so when I said earlier, there's an interesting conversation to be had here. I think that's the version that's really interesting. And that's the one that I wish we were having. My objection, and I think a lot of people's objections were that that framing in the switch between the main show to backstage was about credo Baptists bring forward, then they cause transgenderism. So, like, if we want to talk about how basically attractional quasi Baptist people have ruined evangelicalism, brother, I'm here for that, and I have a lot to encourage on that if it's that credo baptism inherently causes transgenderism, which I think is a reasonable reading of that. Again, that moment where you switched, that's where, okay, let's just roll up our sleeves and, and hash that one out. I think those are distinct conversations is what I'm saying. Well, okay. You know, so, so here, here, um, in my mind, the opening question was, can the American church resist the transgender movement from the, from the main show? Yes. Yeah, so yeah, he's talking I, about I didn't so here's the other thing. I didn't actually realize I didn't quite understand how the front stage backstage switch happened because it's been so long since they've let me on cross politic. So I still <laughs> am not sure 
when that all let me because at one point that. i i was like wait are we recording what's going on because i actually didn't know what was going on but that's that's my own so jason they, uh, they i saw it from james white cuz they sent uh, jason white james white sent me the text too and he's like because at the end of the segment, I I actually started to ask the question about covenantal Baptists and started sending it because I'm trying to make the distinction between the two because I knew what you were talking about. I had no question. But because I know that Baptists share with a covenantal Baptists and a, a Baptist aren't distinguishable at the point of baptism. <laughs> right. You can't tell the two. Right. right? Yeah. They're not they're just like a PCA unless it's a woman who's pastoring. I'll just say that. Yeah. <laughs> But so that's why I was, and so I started asking about the question at the end of the segment, which everybody's like, you turn the corner into talking about covenantal Baptists. I was trying to turn the corner into talking about covenantal Baptists. We never turned the corner into talking about it, Jeff. That was the thing. As I was trying to turn the corner into talking about covenantal Baptists, I got interrupted by Gabe and Gabe reinserted the, the question. So we never really turned, completely turned the corner, not in my head. And Jason, you can speak for it. I didn't think anybody else turn the corner and talking about that. We never got to that. Yeah. And, and I mean, a big part of my concern going in was I wanted to talk about Psalm 11 because I, I think that's such an, that, that was, that was the scripture that came to mind when you asked the question at the beginning. And so I'd have to go back and watch because I didn't actually go back and watch it because I was there. So I didn't feel the need to, but, um, I wanted to get to Psalm 11, and so I might have also just pushed the conversation a particular direction, um, because I think that that the question that you're at, that it was asked at the beginning, can the American church survive this, is the the question in Psalm 11, which is what do we what do we do when the foundations crumble out from underneath us? Um, so that was that might have been my fault. That's I I remember thinking. I want to make sure to get to Psalm 11 because I think there's that's where the hope in the midst of this question actually is, is in that Psalm. Look, I, I, I hear what you're saying and I don't want to be like the jerk who's sitting here being like, no, you've got to frame it the way I do. But I also hope you guys will go back and watch it. I, so I, I watched main show backstage and then the follow-up episode twice, just trying to make sure I had my ducks in a row. And what I think I can confidently say is that not a few people heard Knox say covenantal Baptists, right? And then, yeah, I know Gabe jumped in there, but Gabe seems sort of a, Gabe uses the term American Baptist, I think, which is also, again, you know, that's why like precision it does kind of, it does matter. It's helpful because like I'm an American Baptist and I'm a Reformed Baptist or particular Baptist, whichever terminology you think works for me, those, right? And so I'm not saying, oh, there's a switch. Uh, I'm saying Knox said covenantal Baptist. Now we're addressing Baptist theology in general. And so what y'all may have understood in the moment, I don't think came through to your audience. It didn't come through to me. And I mean, I don't think I'm alone. Yeah. Well, let's let's just dive into it then, because uh, I, I do think that that my question still is, has the Baptist church been the dominant religious force in America in terms of forming our current culture and situation in your mind, do you think that Baptist church has been that force or do you think it's been something else? Okay. And that's great. And that's super interesting. And I, I hope I give 
a, a credible answer here, but I've got to start with a question. I know we all agree that okay. culture is downstream from the church, right? But are, right. is culture arising from the popular level or does culture descend from elite institutions? So like if you take postmodernism, for an example, Baptists didn't give the world postmodernism. Some uh, some European elites through the academy handed postmodernism down. It came, It filtered down through arts, media, things like that. So if you want to ask the question, are Baptists kind of the largest religious group in America, definable by uh, kind of an evangelistic moment of conversion theology, baptize people after their profession? Yeah, we definitely are that. And if you think culture and cultural ideas arise from most people who believe certain things at a grassroots level, then you can say we're the, you know, we have a hand in this. But if you think ideas come from elites filtered through institutions, kind of the way Charles Taylor would talk about, then no, I don't think Baptists have had much of a footprint in that arena. So I would actually point back to Presbyterians who, in, in more mainline ways, but Presbyterians nonetheless, uh, and if you lump in Lutherans as sort of, you know, um, don't give them our glory, don't, Jeff. Don't I'm, give them I'm, our glory. I'm just saying they're headwaiters too. And so if you lump them in, they've controlled the institutions. They've controlled the centers of elite power. And I'm more inclined to say, actually, those ideas come down from elite institutions more than they arise from the grassroots. So transgenderism was caused by Presbyterians. <laughs> Well, can, can I do headwetters, this? Headwetters. Yeah, headwetters. Headwetters. Yeah. Headwetters. Uh, yeah. Can uh, can I do this? I think we have, I think my tradition has popularized that. So we get Rick Warren, we get Bill Hybels, we get, um, you know, Stephen Furtick went to Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. People are going to hate me mentioning that, but he did. I believe we popularized yeah. it. We learned it from Charles Finney <laughs> and he wasn't a Baptist, right? And Robert Schuler was in California and Robert, you know, uh, Rick Warren copied his playbook. And so I think we have had kind of the Johnny Appleseed role, but Pato Baptist gave us all the seed, but I don't want to lay that at y'all's feet. Cause I don't think y'all are the cause. I don't think you're culpable. <laughs> but, but, but there's, there's a difference between, you know, the, the history of the, the, uh, cosmological imaginative assumptions that lead to a particular way of seeing the world and um, and saying who's culpable and who's not culpable. Right. Like if, so if, if we want to, if we want to, um, if we're trying to trace why is it that certain things f feel right to people, right? Why is it that the imaginative shape that people uh, uh, receive information through, uh, make certain things feel right and other things not feel right. We're not talking culpability. Um, you know, we're talking about the way that, you know, imagination has been baptized or debaptized or, um, you know, that those are, that's a different sort of question, uh, that has to do with how do we how, what do we need to do to change the way, to change people's assumptions, change our own assumptions, um, you know, and how do we 
look at the scriptures and say, where are my assumptions not but not in line with reality? Right. So. So we're not I'm not I mean, sure I, that I'm understanding. I, I'll be honest. I'm not. I mean, you hear my accent. I'm I'm country as cornbread. And so I could just not be <laughs> picking up what you're laying down. OK, so th- I, I mean, this this is this is how I think about it. Right. That there is um, the the gut response that people have to to uh, information um, that makes people think that seems right or that seems right. Right. This seems right or that seems right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that um, that that level of oops. Oh, he just went away. (laughs) We lost him. No, come back, Jeff. It's not that bad yet. We'll see when he dials back in. I'm a text. I was like, dang, was it that bad? <laughs> I actually didn't agree. I actually didn't disagree with Jeff, though. There he goes. Hey, Neil, could you bring him in to the room? Bring Jeff back into the room? Yeah. There we go. Yes, I don't know. No it, was that ba- it was that bad. He was like, you know what? Psh, go ahead. Big evil booty, uh, man. Yeah, that is. Yeah, you, that was the that was Russell Moore's CIA. Was I got the hook? <laughs> don't give him the CIA. Uh, all right, Jason. So explain. Go ahead. You, you said our gut reactions to how we understand something. Yeah, our our gut reactions to how we understand something. I think are they you know they need to be renewed right um the t- according to you know they need to be transformed um and and th- they can be conformed to a worldly standard right and um and the renewal of our mind is something that goes all the way all the way down to those basic gut level assumptions uh, in the way you know i i see things working and so if you if you but when you start talking about them um, you're talking about the generational formation of the imagination of people. You're not, it, it's not something that I wake up and I say, I have t- uh, today, I'm going to uh, believe this thing about what kind of cosmos I live in, right? What kind of universe this is, what kind of place I'm living in. You're talking about the generational formation of corporate imagination or it, that individuals partake of and 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 that's what that I th- conversation I think is really really important I think if we uh, I think it uh, jumping to culpability is a stick in the spokes um, and and uh, you know so I would love to look at it and say you know and, and have been you know this has been years I've been trying to read and understand why is it that the imagination that I grew up with was, is the way it was. 
and how do I reform or how do I see that my mind renewed and transformed to reality so that when I you know go out that that my gut reaction is in line with the scriptures is in line with the nature of God and is in line with the kind of creation that he made. I want to get don't there. Think I'm sorry. Imagination go ahead. Go ahead. is, I don't, I mean, imagination is something that is formed over so many generations um, that it's, f- you know, tell, figuring out how do we, how do we tell the story of how my neighbor's imagination ended up the way it did, I think is a really important aspect to renewing our mind. Um, and, you know, that, that's what I, that's, that's the, that's the conversation I hope is happening all over the place. I don't know. Yeah. So then, so then you wouldn't, so for the most part, Jeff just got done saying like, Hey, you know, if anybody gave us a transgender movement, it was y'all baby folks who put water on their heads and think that they're part of the covenant from the beginning. And then I'm, I'm just like, but I wouldn't say that because I don't want, I don't put that responsibility. But then the way that my theology operates and works, Jeff, I don't see how you would be necessarily wrong for making that kind of articulation. I would say like, if anything, I'm saying, well, you might be right. Well, let's investigate and search ourselves. Like I think Jason was trying to say and say, well, shoot, is that a reality? And I can make those connect. I really can, Jeff. I can really make those connections. I was just talking to somebody the other day and I was like, you know, I think, and I believe inside of Presbyterianism, there is this growth called kinism. And and while right. you have racism and prejudice inside of Baptist cultures, and I understand that, there is something unique and particular about kinism that is directly a root of Presbyterian theology malfunctioning, right? And I see that, and then we get this kind of warped view of nationalism. So I don't think that you're wrong when you're making your, you're seeing this and you're like, here's a problem, here's this. And I don't think that that's necessarily wrong. And so I want to look at it and be like, man, there is some messed up stuff of, of lack of faithfulness to the scriptures that is producing a form of prejudice and, or nationality inside of Presbyterian doctrine that we got to deal with. And so when you say that, I'm like, I listen to you and I hear you say that. And I can think of like six or seven things that I can lay right at the feet and say, man, we have to deal with that. So when I look at kinism, I look at it and say Presbyterians have a problem. Right. There's there's no there's no yeah. question about that. When I look at uh, when I look at what Greg Johnson, I'm not looking at Greg Johnson and thinking, oh, man, Baptist. I'm looking at that and saying, oh. The way that this conversation is happening, Presbyterians should have had a theology that had no question of what should happen to Greg Johnson. Instead, they play patty cake. Well, I think what what that what actually happened is we played. He's a member in good. He's a minister in good standing, right? He that that there was a he's he's he is corporate. He's corporately protected by his membership. Right. That's a particular mm. temptation in Presbyterianism, um, which we need Baptists around to be like, yeah, but don't forget regeneration, sucker. You know, that's a, that's the and the same with Kenism, right? That that, uh, you know, I would say that the that um, a lot of the racism in America was secularized Presbyterianism post that post Civil War racism. Jeff, secularized don't agree with you on that, though. <laughs> He, well, he doesn't. Here's what I'm going to jump in at. 
I like, I, I particularly find the history of ideas and ideological movements interesting. Like that's something I can read and talk about for a long time. But I think that's a distinct concept from can every downstream atrocity that may have some similarity or even some relationship to the ideology be laid at the feet of that ideology, right? So like the old trope of uh, correlation doesn't uh, necessitate causation, but also like, um, is this actually the culpable responsibility? So like I can, it sounds to me like the people who are like someone manufactured a gun and therefore they are culpable for a mass shooting. And I'm like, that doesn't follow. So like, I think y'all have some ideas where you're not right about the nature of the new covenant, but I would not blame you for some of the stuff you've just said, you know, it's kind of under your purview. Now I think we have a responsibility to self-police our tradition. We have a responsibility to deal with uh, errors that arise at home before we let it spread to people further abroad. But I don't think that's the same as saying, Hey man, this is on you. This is on your family. This is on your tradition. This is a direct product of your theology. I think it can be a aberration or a deviation or a perversion of a theology. Uh, and that, that there's some relationship. And I just, I can't lay all that at y'all's feet. I, I can't. And I, obviously I'm going to balk if I try to lay it at Credo Baptist feet. Yeah. So um, we, when it comes to, uh, something like, um, you know, the, the, when you hear somebody say, um, the, a credo Baptist, uh, theology or the pap, the practice of credo baptism, um, it elevates the human will into the, uh, part of the causation of our identity. Right, something like that. Um, what is it that you hear being said? I mean, culpability that there's something inherent to the ideology that lays this as a necessary consequence. You know, it's a product of. But here's where I'm too, and I'm going to say I've heard y'all talking about the enlightenment, and I'm with you in that. Like the enlightenment being enlightened anything. I wish we'd have kind of stayed uh, right. middle ages in a lot of way. Um, but that being said, we're, I think we're, let me ask it this way. Are we talking about radical individualism, right? I mean, that's really the core of what we're talking about. I, I mean, individualism. Yes. Okay. I, I, I'm not sure the radical, what the radical distinction is that you're making, but. Well, like I would the say. Distinction between individualism and radical individualism. Okay. So I would say that there is um, individualism thinking of myself as. Uh, a man, for instance, rather than my family before God is not necessarily a, a, a bad thing. But if I'm when I attach radical, I would say if I then think of myself as an individual who is not accountable to my God, then I am in problematic waters. So like thinking of yourself as an individual isn't of it in and of itself an error, but there is a more radical version that is an error. That's what I have in mind. And are we on the same page about that? I, I don't I don't. Th- think traditionally individualism is is just belief in individuality i think individualism as a philosophical concept historically has to do with 
the fact that the individual um, on his own is the where the identity arises from, right? So that he the individual is the seat of knowledge, right? That knowledge is held primarily by individuals, not by communities. Um, that identity is held by individuals, not by not in a communal sense. Um, so I think individualism. So is not the same as individuality. Um, so I think once it becomes an, an ism, I'm going to have concerns. Although it sounds like what you mean by individualism is in, that individuality is a real thing. The individuality of personhood. That, uh, but then radical individualism, what you mean is what would traditionally be called individualism. I guess what I'm trying to do there is to say there is something connected to the idea of thinking of myself as a singular unit that is not inherent corrupting, at least potentially so. But there is a version of doing that that can end up in a negative place. And so, like, I am concerned to police um, the negative side of that. But when I think back through the history of ideas, I don't even go to the Enlightenment for where that concept came from. I go all the way back to Martin Luther whose great epiphany was the Bible is instructing me how to be rightly reconciled to my creator. And if you read a lot of history of, I mean, I say a lot, you define history of philosophy texts that say that right there was the birth of individualism, that, that Luther saying, how can I be justified is where the Western concept of individualism comes from. I rejoice in Luther coming to that point, even if I can sort of see a bread trail back where wicked men suppressing the truth and unrighteousness have taken that concept much later and said with a scalpel and some synthetic hormone, I can change gender. Like, I, I think those things are distinct. I think one of those is, you know, that's something we should praise the Lord for. And the other is something we should, you know, mourn, repent, ask God's forgiveness for, um, oppose in every resource we have, they might have some kind of breadcrumb connection, but I can't lay, um, I can't lay Bruce Jenner at Martin Luther's feet in a culpability sense. The, um, so I, I do think that there is an individuality, um, that you see that can exist within a corporate understanding of humanity. And I, that I think, I think that's actually what Martin Luther's doing. I think St. Augustine as well, actually writing an autobiography, you sure. know, it's pretty revolutionary, you know, Inventing the souls, it. yeah, yeah the, the souls um, time before God as an individual, but I don't see either of them existing in what is the enlightenment understanding of the individual or uh, individualism in which you have a, a cosmos that's broken down into bits and we are one of the bits and happen to be the most important of the bits. Um, and uh, everything is you know defined by my relationship to it, that sort of thing. I think they still existed in, 
in a cosmos in which everything was defined in its relationship to Christ, um, which is the major shift in the Enlightenment in which the individual becomes the seat uh, each individual becomes its own seat of meaning, its own seat of knowledge, its own seat of, of uh, uh, you know, sort of its, its own um, central point. Uh, so I'm so I just think historically speaking, you do have the rise of individualism, but it's. But I, I, I think there was plenty of individuality within that earlier covenantal context or even the platonic context of somebody like Augustine. I'm uh, with you. I just think that we're talking about a history of ideas sort of progression when we're thinking about what does my theology produce? And then, you know, we got down to individuality. I think I'm using the term the way you're using it uh, when it comes to the transgender crisis. And like, right. where does that come from? Well, I, I'm going to go all the way back to the German monk. And if we could, you know, if we could pull in some of like guys that we love, like Chesterton, Chesterton as a Catholic is going to blame Protestants for atomizing right. the universe and all, you know, some of the things you just what, said. And I'm going to look at Chesterton and, and I'm going to go, praise the Lord. Well, I think if you, if you read Chesterton in, in his context and looking around at the modernist Protestants that he's surrounded by, He's he's pretty right. You know, the the late 19th, early 20th century Protestants on the continent and in England were modernists. They were uh, they had fully swallowed the cosmological revolution of the Enlightenment, recentered everything around individuals, um, believed that the that the human will was the force that formed the nature of things, mm -hmm. um, a, a lot of the th problems in the enlightenment. I mean, he was, he had a front row seat to them and he was a, a guy that, you know, is sitting around reading Thomas Aquinas and is like, you know, it, it, we used to not believe in the atomization of all things. We, we used to believe, you know, that the world was, uh, existed in a symphonic unity, uh, in a great dance, you know, all, all of the things that Chesterton talks about. But I think, I mean, I think you could say that that individualism that, or even the radical individualism that you're talking about has did, did deeply infect the church, right? Especially, and I mean, not especially, but the American church as well. And so when you've got a situation where you look around and that radical individualism is now causing people to say, I, I am the one who has the power over my identity. And I'm, um, that I think we as Christians should look around and say, did we teach them that? Right. Is there, is there a way in that we, in which we taught them that? And if there is, are we go do you know, what, what, if the fire and brimstone is upon us, how do we make it through um, I mean, we make it through by repenting of our sins, right? I mean, that in my mind, asking for mercy. Yeah, that's for the, yeah, for that's, sure. yeah. That's the question that we ask: Is there a way that we taught them that, um, right? Because it's because we're the we're the priests of this place, you know. We're the we're the priests, uh, we're the kings and priests. So, 
if there's a way that we taught them that, then we need to be asking for mercy and, you know, uh, hiding under the wings of, of our savior. Uh, because I, I mean, I, I think it, the, the fire and brimstone is falling <laughs> in a Romans one sense, you know, yeah. look around and say, yep, there's yeah. fire and I brimstone mean, it, coming from it, the sky. We're kind of off the Romans one map, right? It kind of terminates Meaning. Jeff, you're just breaking up. I'm not getting you very well. Try that again. Oh, he's frozen. <laughs> there we go. There we go. There you go. Agreed. We're off the Romans one map. I, don't know, I think up? that's a good way to put it. From Christians just then. And here again, like I'm really interested in the conversation of what responsibility do we have as the priests that God has placed in this culture to instruct them in what is righteousness and what's unrighteousness. But when, I mean, again, this, I'm going to come back to defining terms. When we're talking Christian, are we talking about apostles, creed affirmers, Nicene affirmers, uh, Westminster affirmers, second London affirmers. And then the more specific we get, how responsible is each more discreet, smaller unit? That's where the rub is going to show up for me. <laughs> I don't know what I think I, I put you in pain. I, no, I just take this in all love. That sounds a lot like the distinction that people want to make about their genders. There's 47 of them. And I know I don't. And it I, sounds a lot like that. Yeah, huh? It sounds like I, a lot. I like mean, that. I'm just trying to, it, it's, it's, it's sound. I mean, so where is it? Do I, I want to say, how do we submit to what God says is a Christian? Right. Not and. The so that we don't get to say, I'm this kind, I'm that kind, I'm this kind of Christian. Um, I don't think we, ha I think those are illusory categories that, we, that, that we try to use, I think, to say, to give ourselves an identity. Um, and this is, I mean, the Presbyterians do this, I think Protestants do this, I think in general, that we, we want to be able to carve out our own little niche and say, I'm this kind of Christian and, and everybody has to, to this, I'm, this, I'm not talking about Baptists, right? Just, I'm, this is just so everybody's clear. This is not me taking a shot at Baptists. I think we, uh, but there's a, that Protestants want to say, I get to carve off my own little identity and you guys all have to treat me according to it. Right. That, but I'm the one that gets to give it the boundaries rather than saying okay lord what do you say is a christian how and it, how do we um submit ourselves to your definitions of reality what does your church look like what are the boundaries that you have given to the church and approach reality in a way that says i don't control it i'm trying to submit the shape of myself to it. Okay, I'll bite on that. 
the way that the son of Adam submits to reality as it is, is by being converted by God. And so you are brought through the process of regeneration to confess Christ as Lord, kneel before him as such, ask him for his mercy. And so if we're thinking about how does someone submit to reality, maybe I'm too credo-baptist, but I'm going to think of a natural man being converted and brought from death into life. Okay. So, so wait, what's I, the, I think it, it's I think there's an inescapable individualistic component to the biblical paradigm of okay. conversion. I see what you're saying now. Right. So so that it's a um that there isn't a a, a society of church. There is individuals gathered together and they're in the same space, but they aren't a society. Well, I mean, something like that. That sounds to me like the crux of the difference between a magisterial reformer and what you might call a more radical reformer, you know, between the Presbyterians and the, and the Baptists. And so I, I really, I'm not trying to pick that fight right now. What I'm no, no, saying yeah. is that like, if we're thinking about, can we think of ourselves as individuals and does that feed sort of a narcissistic modern Western tendency? I'm going to say, I don't think it's escapable that at some level we have to think of conversion as an individual event. Because, because um, the only thing that can be converted is individuals. Well, no, I mean, thankfully I think that according to the great commission that can be taught to obey everything, but I think that process is necessarily going to involve individuals being converted um and i i really don't see a way around that like we've got to account for individuality if i'm using the term the way you're using it we've got to account for it in god's schema in some way okay so um and in your mind do press how do or can presbyterians account for individuality or can Pado Baptists account for individuality? Headwetters. Headwetters. I like that. I, I'm going to probably use that. If you don't mind, I'm stealing it. Put it on a shirt. <laughs> I may wear a shirt like that to uh, fight left feet. I love it. I love that. Bring me one. Um, oh, okay, can, can I bring this home to the controversy that I'm calling the fight laugh Farley controversy? <laughs> sure. Um, I've never had a controversy named after me. This is exciting. Yeah. Well, maybe you'll get a synod and you'll get, you know, you'll get all kinds of stuff. Um, I, yeah, that'd be good. I, I just want whoever the Arminius is, I hope that their guts burst open into the side of the road on the way there. So it's just <laughs> okay. easy to decide. Okay. <laughs> well, so Toby tweeted that there is a, a sort of cosmic worldview implication to credo Baptist theology that a man thinks that in some ways he's going to, you know, decide for God. That was one of the tweets that came out of like the follow-up that I think added some fuel to the fire. Right. And so I think, I don't want to represent pastor Toby. I hold him in really high regard, appreciate his work, 
But I think the idea there is that credo Baptist sort of pushes towards individuality. Um, and it's going to shape the way you see the world. Or maybe individualism. Individualism. Yeah, okay. maybe individualism. Okay, right. So immediately as soon as I read that, I can recognize it is it is troublesome for sort of an Arminian view of the world to say, I as an autonomous individual, I'm going to make a decision in favor of God, and that's going to have ramifications for my view of the world. But I immediately also thought that Presbyterians with their children think the kingdom grows by a dad making a choice to have another baby, which is also an individualistic choice. And so I don't think you can get away with saying one tradition pushes more than the other towards elevating the individual's choice. Um, you probably disagree with me on that, but I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to drive that wedge. And so I look at it and go six and one half dozen of the other. And I mean, I do disagree, but I don't think it's a wedge um, to dig down uh, because I do think we all want to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So I don't think it's For a sure. wedge to dig down together. Right. So, I, I mean, the, that's fair. That's I, fair. I remember we, we, we had a, a joint college ministry in the the town where I ministered because um, because n we couldn't none of us could afford it ourselves. We actually had the um, Reformed Anglican, the Reformed Presbyterian, and the Reformed Baptist Church did a joint college ministry together, and um, it was really wonderful and very sweet time. And but one of the things that we did was we had an an like a open and frank conversation between the Presbyterian pastor and the Baptist pastor about the differences in the understanding of baptism um, that was collegial and fun and a blessing to the students, partly because they got to watch two men work through their differences in fellowship and Christian unity. And, um, you know, so, so I don't think that, that digging down on it um, is is necessarily a wedge, right? So, um, so you right, know, if you phrase credo Baptist does this, and I'm not a credo Baptist, that seems like a wedge. I, that seems like <laughs> digging down with a wedge. Perhaps I could, <laughs> like way perhaps, but, super perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> but but here's the thing, right? It um, what if what if I. Okay. So here, here's part of the thing that I think is, is getting in the way. Um, there is a, an understanding of the cosmos, the, an understanding of creation in which it is f that, that uh, understanding the sacraments as signs and seals of the covenant um, is actually a, has a cosmological um has cosmological import, right? That that's bringing a particular cosmology that I, that means that if the sacraments are signs of something, right? If, if the sacraments are signs of something, then the way that you do the sacraments actually is communicating something. Now it might be against your theology. It might be in favor of your, of your theo theology and, and the, the efficacy of it doesn't depend in my mind upon getting the theology right, you know, because it's a 
the efficacy has to do with the sovereignty of God, the spirit of God's promised presence and all of that. But the, um, the way that we do the sacraments does communicate the, uh, a cosmology, right? It mm-hmm. communicates a belief about salvation. Um, and so, so I, I, I didn't, I haven't read that tweet, but I'm assuming that's what uh, Toby's talking about. That's what I would mean if I was talking about the cosmological system that the Baptist or that a credo Baptist position brings with it, right? Is that there's actually a, f- there's a full cosmology embedded in the way that we do the sacraments. Now the, co- the cosmology is, is big and broad and, and wide. And so there's some freedom within the practice of doing the sacraments. Um, but it, it is going to communicate something um, about the kind of world we believe we live in, the, the, how we believe our relationship to God works, um, who we believe we are in terms of whether we fit, how we fit into the cosmos. Um, so, so, I mean, I think that's why it's an important conversation amongst, amongst brothers to say, you know, Hey, the way that we, the way that we do it, I think brings a whole, a whole, uh, set of cosmological assumptions and it's passed down to the next generation. An old wise, uh, pastor, when I was a new Christian say, it's a, what music we sing is important because the kids in the church learn 80% of their theology from the music until they, uh, start to study when they're older. Right. So, you know, he said the, the music that we choose is embedding an understanding of who the who God is, who the who the children are, who all of that, um, um, because we're not just rational individuals who take in sentences um, and then arrange them. We're you know, actually imaginative beings, um, which is why Paul says, "I didn't come to you with a list of rules, but I came to you." Uh, forming your imagination uh, towards Christ, right? So, um, and I think, but I think the sacraments are a major significant part of how that happens. So I think saying, how are we doing this? Is it communicating what we actually believe about the cosmos um, or not? I think is a really important question to dig into. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. I'm just trying to say, I don't think that Baptists and... Uh, Pado Baptist or Credo Baptist and Pado Baptist have a real, uh, neither one has a real high advantage over the other when it comes to which of those pushes towards individualism. Now, I'm saying that with a distinctive understanding of the uh, sacraments, means of grace. I don't know if we have the same understanding of that or if your assumptions or your, I say assumptions, your conclusions about what Baptists think are mine. And so that would be. That may be another line of conversation, but I'm going to put that pin there because I know I just stepped on what Knox was going to say. Yeah. No, I was, I was, you guys are having a conversation. I find it's interesting, but I'm wondering, Jason, when he's talking about, when, when, when Jeff is talking about, well, that's putting a wedge there. Why you said what you said about cosmology, because I wasn't making the connection. So you're saying it's okay to put a wedge there. And he's like, that's a pretty big wedge. I'm, Jeff, would you, would you say that's the kind of wedge that separates brothers? Uh, I think it's the kind of wedge that uh, wielded uh, uncharitably can can, and I'm not going to lay that at Toby's feet, but I am saying that like 
if you look at our two traditions, there's been bloodshed. Like I can meet with you guys online, but I can't meet near a body of water. Um, there's been some real hostility there. And so I, I do want to take real care because I, I think like y'all have a con, uh, real concern to say in sort of a reformed Catholicity, we are of the same tribe. Uh, yeah. You know, we're pulling the rope in the same direction. But I feel like that though. And this is where I think when, when Jason was talking about earlier, I feel like that about people who are charismatics. I got a small list of Catholics. I might feel like that about, I got people like that, you know what I mean? So you're, I think you agree with me like that, that group it's for me is pretty broad and boy, when John MacArthur went after charismatics, he left them no quarter, <laughs> right? Like charismatics by the time John MacArthur got done, weren't even Christians at the end of the day, you know? So, and, and I thought that his, uh, the re his diatribe on the charismatics was actually really good because there's some things that they really needed to hear and that they, I felt like they were responsible for um, in a kind of a postmodern way of postmodern, because just how I feel it's, it's, and this thing is emotion. It's just coming from me. I, I think that, that I could easily lay some of that stuff in my charismatic brothers and be like, man. Um, and I've watched that kind of charismania stuff, not just in the same way I watched um, the emergent movement bridge. Off, I mean, dude, Come on, we dealt with the emergent movement first in Christendom before it permeated the culture. Like it, we we had it hit hard. I remember Todd Friel being on the street and be like, "What is this?" But then when he's out in the street, we had um, Brian McLaren and Doug Paget and those guys that most people didn't even know what to do with those guys. And it took a long time before we start figuring out, "Oh, here's what's going on." And I think that you know, so I some of these. And maybe I'm backing up past where you guys are having the conversation. Forgive me. I, I, Jeff, I am willing to say that not everything that we see in the culture is one-to-one -one causation. I think that there's some things that you can see flow from the church to the culture that creates another set of dominoes. It's like, whoa. But it got there from somehow, especially if we, especially in a nation like America that's had so much light, that's had so much Christianity in it. There hasn't been a nation that I can think about, and you guys are historians, so you'd be able to tell me, that has had so much Christian influence inside of its guts. I mean, the only reason we're standing at this very moment as we're getting onslaught with so much of the enlightenment is because the foundations are all Christian. You know, and so I can look at that and I'm like, you can't say, oh, we have all these Christian foundations, but that wasn't the church's fault. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, you have to look at America and be like, this is, America is here because of an, an outflowing from one generation to the other of faithfulness, understanding God's word in the world that we live in, the kind of cosmology that, um, a kind of Christian that believes a certain type of cosmology that produces a certain type of nation that we have. That's a reality. We didn't get here because of paganism. America is here because of Christianity. There's just, that's to me, that's inescapable. I don't think you get the blessings of one without getting the curses of it, of the other. Does that make okay, sense? I, yeah, it does. And I'll, you know, just to try to be fraternal, that's one of the things that I think cross politic, the Moscow guys have pushed me to understand. So I, I don't have a substantial objection to that. Although I think with the controversy, the issue is, is that some say of the church, which is a big umbrella term. That's why, that's why I said earlier, like, are we talking Apostles' Creed? Are we talking Nicaea? Or is that distinctly the responsibility carrying culpability 
uh, or I, maybe I'll say cause carrying culpability of the credo Baptist tradition. And, and I'm also going to gently push back just in general to say there is such a thing as suppressing the truth and unrighteousness that, you know, men are inventors of evil. They don't, they don't have to only respond to something the church is doing. They can say, I am, my heart is an idol factory. It, you know, I think we can look and say, well, that idol is going to fit one of a couple different patterns that are pretty consistent through history. But paganism does arise in, you know, sometimes from suppressing the truth and unrighteousness apart from looking at the church and saying, there's no doubt about that. Oh, there's no doubt about that. Look, yeah. I mean, I, I think that I don't question that at all, but I, I kind of think of it like this. I think of it as you have nations who have not been reached, who don't have nearly as much light. And I don't disagree with you at all. Like those nations, you can't say, oh, this is the church's fault because that nation doesn't No, they, they, that, that nation is suppressing the truth about God that they can see from the heavens, from reality, from the cosmos. There's no doubt about that. And then you also have the type of nations that have the kind of light that we have. Sure. sure. <laughs> and, and that's where I'm like, that's where people, I'm gonna come back to what do we mean when we say church? So like there is a category of nation that is innovative as pagan. And then there's a, a I couldn't say it any better nor I try to. We've just been incredibly overwhelmingly blessed with many of Christ's gifts, and we have handled that as a wicked steward, right? So I'm with, but then who's the we? Who's the church? Who's, how do you define the Christian who is holding responsibility? And I'm going to object if you say, um, yeah, don't I, have I don't have a no, no, no. I, I think, and Jeff, here's one thing that I was kind of disappointed about. I think, and this is not a, a poke at you, but I think, I hope that my brothers who listen, especially my Baptist brothers, when I say we, I mean we. Just because at one moment I'm particularly talking about Baptist doesn't mean that I'm leaving off anybody else. I think, you know, I'll take them all. We like, we, we all in one sense or another are responsible for this. And here's how I think about it. This is probably a way, um, uh, this isn't an insult, not meant to be an insult, but I know it can be received as one, okay? <laughs> you call me Big Eva, so I, I get that. That was your punch. So now I'll give you another one. Um, no, but I, I, I would say that the reason that we even have some of the Baptists, and I think I, that's why I agree with you earlier when you said something about Presbyterians is like the reason, or headwetters, is be, Presbyterians gave up something to create Pados, like I, or, or Kratos. I don't, we messed up some stuff, bro. We've got wrapped up inside of an and I'll say this, the Kratos saved us and took us from falling off the track. I, I, I praise God for them. So, OK, let me put this in there. I'm just throwing a whole bunch of stuff out there. This is why I don't write, because you can't follow this in a sentence. Uh, <laughs> but the way I think about it is this. I'm a man who fears God. I love my wife. I love my kids. I baptize my children. And yet I if my children are starting to act in a particular way that is not within the covenant, the way that I understand it, the way my cosmology is, I look and I say, why are my children being short tempered right now? I don't say, well, what are they watching on TV? I'm like, well, who taught them that? The first thing I, the first thing I do is be like, Lord, I must be short tempered somehow, or I'm not guarding the fence very well with my family. What am I doing? Right. Or it might even be, and nobody's going to like me saying this. It might be that, well, why are your kids acting this way? Well, look, I, am I being right? Okay. I'm being right. Am I washing my wife in the water of the word? Oh, I'm not doing that. 
oh, I'm not even spending time with my wife. And so she's bitter and it's coming out with my kids. And so I'm not being faithful here. And so I can see, even though I'm a Presbyterian, Reformed, believe the Bible, and my children are doing things that are outside of the category of how they should be acting as Christians, I don't look and say, well, who are their... F-? I look and say, whoa, there's something here that's going downstream in my family that is causing a problem spiritually in my children, right? And, and, and I'm not saying that that's all a one-to-one. I'm using it as an example to say... Th- I don't think of a separation when I talk about us. I'm thinking even in myself, there are things who is a solid reformed Presbyterian pedal communion guy who's saying, I got stuff inside of me that I can see falling out into my kids that eventually, if I don't repent of that, falls out into the culture, even though I'm doing all the things that I believe I'm doing that's righteous and right, right? That's a reality. That is true. That's because in some way or another, I'm failing to realize something about God's world and God's word that I am being inconsistent with. And I need to repent of that and start going back right and doing the right things. I don't think that's a far stretch at all. So when I talk about like who's responsible, I say we are responsible. It might be in different areas and in different things. And sometimes we might talk about those specifically at one moment and then talk about those other things at another moment. And, you know, it's so. this is why it was so easy for me with my SBC brothers, Jeff. Like, we have massive disagreements. We And we do. I know people don't think we do, but I, I don't know if you're like this or not, but most of my brothers who I love dearly, we couldn't be members at their church, right? We just couldn't. You know, that, that's not a reality. Um, and, and... I, I, in most cases, I would rather be at Reformed Baptist churches than PCA churches because I find Reformed Baptists a lot more closer to what how I think as a CREC guy than I do most Presbyterian PCA guys. I've been in the PCA I, when I was in Georgia. Um, oh, I'm gonna just indict myself. I was thirsty. And the only place that had water was a Reformed Baptist church in Georgia. And the only reason I had I had to make decision of man with, had water. <laughs> a whole lot of it they were willing a to lot. immerse me in that <laughs> exactly. um yeah but they, that was the only place that I, but the problem was i had to decide become be, between being at a church that would not accept me as a member and being there like i'm willing to be here anyway or go to a church where at least i got communion at and those two things mm-hmm. i had to do and thank god i didn't have to decide much longer because it was it was really destroying my family because i wanted to be where i felt like man I want to be with these guys. We just have this, this division between us. And so my whole point of saying is that when I saw what was going on in the SBC, I looked at it and said, Baptists are the most important evangelical group in America right now, not Presbyterians. They, in a lot of ways, don't really matter at the end of the day as far as who's having the influence in culture and society. And that was part of my heart and still is my heart towards my Southern Baptist brothers, particularly my Reformed brothers. I wanted to come and be with y'all in every way. Even there's a, I disagree because I know that if you guys fall, if you guys don't stand, we are in a lot of civic trouble, right? And me seeing the demise of the SBC was like, oh my goodness, this is bad. Um, and how do I, how do I help or engage with the tools that I have? You know what I mean? So w- when you say like, who was the church we're talking about? Well, at that particular point in the conversation, we're talking about Baptists. 
right? There might be a different point in the conversation where we're not talking about Baptists, we're talking about Presbyterians, right? Um, but even inside, I was thinking of Jonathan Lehman. Let's just leave him out of it right now. <laughs> I'm okay but, with but, that. But, yeah. <laughs> See, and I don't even know who Jonathan Lehman is, so. Yeah, I know you don't. Yeah, yeah that's. <laughs> Wrote a really um, great book on church discipline and then things went sideways. Oh, bummer. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so when we talk about that, does that make sense? Like, that's who I'm, I'm thinking about. When we're talking about Christians, I'm thinking about us. And depending on what it is, what I what I heard you say earlier, we might disagree on the foundations of what's causing what based on who we are, which which group we are. Like, is it um, is it the offense or is it the defense? Is it the wide receivers or is it or is it the O line? Is it the quarterback or is it the coach or is it the guys in the box or is it the general manager? But whatever it is, it's the team. Like whatever it is, it's us, right? Well, ahead, so John. I believe that about you. And again, that's that's when I appreciate you. I appreciate the CRE as a guy who SBC as large, you know, more and more. I'm, I'm thinking this maybe you know, this Uh-oh. probably isn't recovered. Uh oh, go go ahead, say it, Jeff. In fact, so I appreciate you. Said, you said you believe that about me. I, I believe that about, about Moscow. I appreciate that about the. Um, I have you know sometimes I look at the CREC with longing. Uh, because I see what's going on in the SBC, and I'm like, man, I'd rather be with those guys. So I believe all of that. I think I've been trying to say that I'm with you on that. Like I am very interested in saying Christians as a big group have a responsibility here. But when when we get to where the controversy, I think, where the controversy arose on the the backstage episode is where it got narrowed down to Baptists as singular, distinct, whatever. And so I do have, I I do have a concern even in this conversation to say, when we're saying we, when we're saying Christians, when we're saying whatever, let's just define our terms real quick so that everybody knows what we're talking about. I'm I'm with you. I just want to be crystal clear about that. Give me the subject. I'd be happy. I'd be happy to define the terms um, for my mind. See, and here's the thing: like, I'm not even in the CREC, right? I'm PCA, so hey, I, he's, I'm he's, the one that none of y'all like. And I, <laughs> so that, and I have, that's not true. And what Knox was saying about the SPC, I feel about the PCA. Like we need y'all to get revoice right, right because yeah, my yeah, guys, right. the problems in and, my denomination are trying to get us to revoice as soon as they can get us there. Right. When we have, and, and, you know, my family goes to just wonderful, wonderful church, uh, great pastor, um, you know, guy stands strong and, um, and faithfully pastors our church. And we've had a great experience in the PCA, but I look at some of those things and think, how can we not, how can we not see like what, you know, what, what is it? What is it? What is it in our imagination that keeps us from being able to get the biggie on the eye chart right? Does that, you know what I mean? Right. So, um, but I also don't think the PCA is particularly influential in the grand scheme of things, but, um, but we got our issues that we got to work out that I think are at that, at that same imaginative level um, that because people's gut responses are not trained by the scriptures. Right. And, um, 
can it, I interrupt but, you for a second though? Because I think, and when you say they're not influential in the scheme of things, I, I got, I actually want to disagree a little bit and say a lot. And Jeff, you said this earlier. Whatever the PCA is doing, while they might not have the cultural eye on them, they do have a lot of the Baptist eye on them. Like they, they, they are influencing Baptist culture. That's influencing all of, um, the majority of culture right now. So I think like they're not infl- they're not like they don't have their hands on the wheel, but it's like yeah. Baptist asking in the back seat, hey, so where are we going? Hey, where are we going? And, oh, that's, and a, that's a good point. <laughs> and that's and something. P- yeah, that's something that um, you know. Just, Maybe that's that's maybe maybe we're the uh, the the one the the trunk monkey that's actually causing all the problems uh, in the Baptist church that are causing all the problems in. America. Who you call a monkey? Me. <laughs> trunk monkey. Now, when you say Presbyterian, are you meaning PCA, CREC, <laughs> O OPC? Uh, <laughs> yeah. the, the, Go ahead. I I I, I, I interrupted I, you. Keep going. PCA LGBT. That's what I'm talking about. That's <laughs> that's your people. You got to deal with yeah. them over there, <laughs> no, right? No. But we we have. I think um, so. You. Know, we, but this is where you know if we talk if we talk church, yeah. Um, in my mind, the sacraments define the body limitations of the church, right? Baptism, the Lord's Supper. That's the edges uh, of the church. Faith is the mark of covenant keeping, right? So you've got multiple you marks. Said the, the, oh, yeah. The sacraments define the limitations of the church. Okay. Yeah, the sacraments define the edges of the church, uh, but then and then faith is the mark of covenant keeping, right? So faith is the mark uh, mark of the living church, um, and the, the sacraments define the the edges of of the institutional church. Um, uh, the, so the edges of the body, um, and, and then, but then faith is the way that you mark out the, the, the living church. So God, I think has given us multiple marks, right? There's the, the bodily, um, mark that gives us our identity. And then there's also the faith, uh, which is also a mark of the church, um, that is how we keep the covenant, uh, with God, how we, that's what a living, a living relationship with the Lord looks like. So, um, Jeff, what were you going to say, Jeff? I just want clarity to make sure I'm understanding right. When you say there's a bodily mark, what's the bodily mark you're referring to? The sacraments. Okay. So the, the, the doing with the body of taking sacrament or participating in Christ, however you're going to frame that. Yeah, so the so the baptism is is the entrance into the body of the church, and the Lord's Supper is the continued partaking in and the renewal of membership in the body of Christ. Right. Okay. So the and that the the body the body is a real thing that gives real limitations and also gives real identity. Right. So. Similar to, you know, this, this is where I think we're having this conversation with, uh, with folks that say, well, I feel differently than my body. And you have to say, yeah, but reality gives you, you know, a body, your body is a real Mm -hmm. identifying thing. And I, um, and this is just Westminster confession stuff, but that the, that the baptism and, and baptism and the Lord's supper are the, the marks of the 
of the body of Christ. And then faith so, is the mark of the church as well. Okay. So, I mean, we're going to run into some, some, some differences there that are important. You know, we're going to see faith as the, you know, the entrance into the covenant community. And then, uh, I mean, the, the standard Baptist stuff, y'all know, but to, to kind of come back to the point you made, uh, or as best I understand it, that you made on the backstage, as there's a guy on Twitter named Tom Hicks, um, yeah. 1689 guy. And did y'all see, did y'all see his tweet about, um, the, the difference between externality and internality in Presbyterian thought and how it might affect this question? Is no. that on your radar? No, no, I'm not. Twitter's not on my radar. Sure. Okay. He doesn't even, well, he doesn't even have it on his phone. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, he got some traffic. And so um, I just want to make sure. Yeah. So when, you know, when you think about a credo Baptist understanding of the sacraments pushing in a certain direction, he said as a, as a reformed Baptist, he was thinking or particular Baptist, he was thinking that it seems unique to the Presbyterian view that there can be a difference between the inward reality and the outward expression. So I may in fact be a covenant keeping member of the covenant community inward, or I may not, but I am outwardly going to go to the table and receive communion. And he said, that sounds like someone saying I may or may not be actually male internally, even if uh, my outward expression physically is male. And he, you know, he posited that that was more germane to your view of the sacraments than it was to ours. Mm. And so cards on the did table. Did he get a blow up about this? Did, did, did he get the blow up about that? I just want yeah. <laughs> I, thought, I, I thought it was sharp. Yeah. 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 No, that's really good. That's a really good point. And I, and, and I, because in my mind, the, the center of, uh, of this uh, cosmological problem that, it, that we have in America is a problem in the way that we, uh, view the sacraments within the church, right? That the set that our sacramental imagination is the one that, that, uh, informs our cosmic imagination, right? That's, um, and so I, I think he's, I think he is ex hitting the, the bell that I think we should be talking about, right? How it, um, because it, but, but I think that that would be within, at least within Westminsterian, theology um, that specifically is one of the things that's addressed um, in the larger catechism. Um, what, it, what do you do when your internal state and your external state are, are not uh, you, your covenantal state, you know, your covenantal status and your internal status are not aligned, right? That what you do is you look at the external status. What is it that God says about you? And you conform your thoughts to that and then come to the table, right? You conform your thoughts to the bodily reality, the, the covenantal reality, the body of Christ reality. What is it that your what the, 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 the sacraments say about you when when you believe something different, you're supposed to say, well, which one of those is the one that I submit to my internal reality that is not having faith? says, oh, wait, God says this about me, right? God tells me who I am. And you submit, um, you know, you change your mind to what the 
what the your membership in the body of Christ tells you. Now I can see how the actually a modern Presbyterianism, right, that um, has pulled those things apart. And so um, in, in a way that says the internal reality and the external reality don't need to match up um, and it's okay, right? And that is a, uh, a so, so that, that is a really good point and something that as Presbyterians, we should be on the lookout for. I appreciate that warning. That's good. But you know what, though? Oh. Can I just jump in here and say this? Sure. So, Jeff, go ahead. Go ahead. I don't want to interrupt you. No, you no, got no, the floor, wait. bro. Go. I've talked a ton, man. Go ahead. I'd rather hear you. Everybody else too. I'm changing the subject, though, because honestly, I wish somebody would have said that to me, Jason, when I was struggling with whether or not I was saved or not. Like that's not what that's not the conversation that I was having when people when you're doubting your salvation. I've been and this is what I didn't. And when I became and Jeff, don't don't cut my neck. But when I stopped doubting my salvation, when I became Presbyterian, because I started understanding the signs and, of, of, and seals a little different as a Baptist. When I was a Baptist and it's become reformed, I was still coming out of pre, out of um, charismatic charismania world and into more reform. So I wasn't really truly reformed yet. And, and that my 1688 guys probably would talk about, but I was in the middle of it. I'm probably in my reform bad to be so mad at me, but I was MacArthur reform. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but, but I, I, um, I was trying, <laughs> you, you know what I mean by that, Jeff, you know, there's a spat between the way y'all talk about reform. You know, we, we all, we all know, uh, uh he ain't truly reform. He ain't 1689. Uh, <laughs> Do you just like I'm not digging that one up right now at all? This sounds like no. R. Scott Clark. He's truly reformed. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, not real talk. You know, but anyway, as I'm making this transition to learn, I'm trying to figure out how in the world, when I'm having doubt about my salvation, how do I get back to square one where I can believe it like I did before? And it was, and it was a. There was two things that happened. There was one book, um, a primer on um, a primer on gospel by oh I can't remember his name right now. Ah, anyway, prim on the gospel where he's where I learned the difference between justification and sanctification because I was breaking down thinking, well, because I sin, therefore my salvation, or if I might have sinned grossly, therefore my salvation isn't valid anymore, and I have to reestablish that, right? And that was very helpful. But the other thing that was just helpful was James was saying is like, no, there's a reality to the fact that God has done something on you and washed over you that you can trust that. And you can believe the fact that when you taste the gospel in the bread and the and the, the wine, that right. that's a reality too. That you can say, ah, oh, yes, this is for me, right? And so, I wasn't part of it. Was I wasn't taught to look at those things as them speaking over me. Rather, those things were things that I was speaking over, and because I was falling apart, those realities weren't real anymore. I struggled with that. I struggled right. with whatever you guys want to talk about individualism or however you guys, would, I'll let y'all define that stuff. I struggle with the reality of was the water that was placed on me a real thing if I've sinned in such a way. And it's like God's covenant is more faithful than, than my lack of ability to keep it. So Amen, I would, you know what I mean? And so that to yeah. me changed so much for me because then it changed the, it started changing the world for me. You know, all of a sudden I started saying, Oh, this is the kind of world that God keeps his promises. Even what I don't. Right. <laughs> that's, that's the kind of world we live in. And yeah. So, it's first, first Peter three twenty one stuff, right? Baptism now saves us. 
not by the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but it's the answer of a good conscience towards God, right? mm. that, that the conscience, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the conscience can look at baptism and say, no, Lord, you did this for me. You did, you know, the, the sacraments take general promises of God and individuate them, put them on particular individuals. Um, and their households. And their households, right. I mean, just, just like, oh, I hear you. We were doing so good. And here you go. I'm sorry, Jeff. Go ahead. I inter- but I interrupted you. Uh, all I was going to say earlier is that on this front, I feel like there's substantial agreement in our traditions. Right, um, yeah. So like the liturgy at our church, we take the Lord's Supper every Sunday in light of 1 Corinthians 11. We do take a time to look inward and examine ourselves. But I tell our church explicitly, we are now going to look outside of ourselves to Christ. And what he says about you is the most true thing about you. And so you're not trusting sincerity. You're not even trusting how deep your repentance goes. You're trusting that Christ has made this uh, statement over you. And he's accomplished everything required to keep the statement. And he's going to keep you in what he has said about you. And so you trust entirely. And Knox, you know, for whatever differences there are, in our traditions now, what you just articulated is right out of my own head. Like every month, I, I grew up in a revivalistic tradition, and yeah, yeah. Uh, you know that surely you know low church Baptists are revivalistic in that way. But Wesley wasn't Baptist, you know. Whitfield, some of that stuff is not unique to just credo Baptists. And I was taught that the legitimacy of my salvation was basically on the sincerity with which I prayed at the moment. And so I was constantly wondering if I was sincere, then praying this time, hoping I would be sincere enough this time, right? Yeah. And eventually a good Reformed brother is part of my pathway, and it was probably Tom Askell uh, or something (laughs) Founders published. Praise praise the Lord for Tom. Yeah. Said, no, actually, you're looking to the objective Christ, uh, the work he's done, what he has declared over you, what what you just said. He's better keeping his promises than you are. And uh, like I still wrestle with assurance, but the yeah. thing, the antidote, antidote to that is to go back and say, it doesn't matter about how sincerely I feel saved. Christ keeps his promises. And so with that one, I mean, I couldn't be closer to where you are. Well, and, and I, the, this is why, so in my mind, you're talking, um, you know, I've, if I talk about something and I'm talking about the poetic import of a sacramental practice, right? So um, waiting for a person to volunteer themselves for the, for the Lord's supper. Um, and I don't, I don't know percentages. I don't know if the reformed Baptist church is bigger or smaller than the evangelical Baptist church or there, there's um, much as a minority as I am inside the, uh, the Presbyterian world. Let me just say oh, it like that. Yeah, How many black Presbyterians? Yeah, be, we we should, yeah. That, yeah. Be, because of of uh, you just you're from Minnesota. Is that what you're talking about, David? That's that's what it is. <laughs> that's so the I um the uh my my experience of the General Baptist Church uh, has been that they were that that the general baptist church is um 
uh, you know, God, God gave his vote. The devil gave his vote. And now we're waiting on you, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so, uh, you know, when, so if, if I if see that that's most of the Baptists that I've ever talked to and look at the poetic import of how they do baptism, um, do you think it is a, uh, an unnatural conclusion to say that radical individualism, like you talked about is all throughout the church and they, we are not going to be able to resist the transgender movement so long as we are as radically individualistic in our understanding of identity as the world is. It depends on who the hour is there. Uh, and I'm going to keep coming back to that. So like, uh, I don't think we are more individualistic by virtue of our ideological or theological tradition. Wait, wait. When you say we, uh, we I don't think we are. Well, you're talking about who? Reformed Baptists? Our in this would be not just Reformed Baptists, but uh, Credo Baptists as Credo Baptists. Okay. Now, as revivalistic or attractional or uh, Arminian, right? I mean, because that is part of the Venn diagram of Baptists that. Uh, you know, or part of that heading. Okay. Uh, okay. But I don't think that's a virtue of credo, or I don't think that's by virtue of credo baptism. I think it's by virtue of basically a, um, a lack of confidence and an ignorance of what God has said. And kind of this idea that we might have a Bible that's inspired, but it's not sufficient. And so we'll go try to find some better methodology, which I don't think is unique to credo baptism, even though it, there may in fact be numerically a lot of credo Baptists practicing it in a way that dwarfs other traditions. Okay. Would you, do you think that the rise of Baptist theology is connected to the enlightenment? I think in our country in, in the U S uh, sure. I mean, I was thinking in just broader Western culture, but well, I, I mean, I I don't know on the continent how dominant we are. You know, I mean, I don't know, you know, how well Christianity is doing anywhere um, in on the continent, but I don't know that we're particularly dominant there. I do think numerically we're pretty we're pretty big here, credo Baptist yeah. that is. But I attribute that to westward expansion. Um, I think that in a way that like I I'm not delighted by my tradition does not have controls on who gets to go present themselves as a candidate for pastoring a church or being an elder. And so why you want a presbytery? Well, yeah. And so a lot of times I do. I mean, because come on over, man. you're already an establishment Presbyterian. You're halfway there. Yeah. So I know that I just set people's hair on fire. But what I'm saying by that is my tradition doesn't take theological training and credibility right. seriously enough. Right. No, I hear you. But in, in Westward Expansion, that means we could move quicker. We were more agile than y'all. You had to wait for them to get out of seminary. We could be like, nah, this boy can preach. Send him to Missouri. Send him to, you know, whatever the Westward Territory is. And so point. I think we I think we beat y'all on uh, reach because we weren't being careful enough to make sure we were sending our best. And and that's where I would say we got the leg up numerically. You know, I I that's funny it, that if you were going to talk about the who got the leg up numerically and why, 
Um, I I don't think that's the reason why. I think Presbyterianism had pop had populated and dominated the Western culture, and we dropped the ball in so many places that people say, I don't want a form of Christianity. I want something that was tangible and real and fights. And I see that in so many different places. When when um, Presbyterians had gotten comfortable being on the top and they got fat and they got lazy and they abdicated responsibility in a lot of ways. Um, you got to look at slavery and all those, man, they're going to, some. I'm just trying to get everybody mad at me. Yeah. And they abdicated, they abdicated in such a way that it was like, um, Who's who's gonna stand up and 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 if the PCA or the, if, I'm sorry if Presbyterians are not gonna let us in then we're gonna do our thing <laughs> I think and so a lot of people left because they were looking for something that wasn't um, gonna be dominated by um, parliamentary tricks and all this other form of systems which is why in Baptist culture which is why in one sense what Baptist culture was able to say well we can be united but you don't have no authority of what happens over here in this church whatsoever. Right. Because and that's we, the trade off because, like, we don't have good controls on sending theologically well developed men into the ministry. That's a negative. The other side is if my church goes south and I tank, I fall into false doctrine, you know, whatever, it doesn't necessarily affect the Baptist church right next to me directly. Like, there, there's a there's a corporate witness kind of thing. Sure. But it is nice, particularly in being in the SBC right now, as JD Greer, whoever goes more crazy that does not necessarily backwash into my church. And, but that's why I think the SBC was able to survive the, um, the, the radical left insult on institution or uh, takeover institution. Assault. Yeah. Assault on institution was because you guys didn't have a particular central. Yeah. I don't know if I've been frozen out because Knox just froze up. <laughs> yeah, I think he froze because I can still hear you. Yeah, okay. and you. <laughs> so the but but now fingers crossed dealing with yeah. the fall of the institutions, and now you guys are following that same pattern. 30, 25, 30 years ago, you guys were able to beat it because of, if I can say this, the individualistic idea that you guys share, right? Like that was Autonomous part of local your local churches is a thing. Yeah. Well, but yeah. that was part. But that was part of what. Well, not just not just that, but you guys. Like you guys don't think in the same way uh, federally, right? You guys don't think that way. You guys, so when you guys go to vote, like the the ladies are right there, like I want my tab to vote too. I get to vote. Like there's no federal representation just because my husband is head of my house. He ain't voting for me at the SBC. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> I get my. Farley, I think Knox yeah. is on to something. Um, <laughs> I oh, mean, we, but you know what I mean? And I'm not saying that to be insulted. I'm just saying like, that's no, I think you're on. So you were freezing up for us. And so I was going to tell him that I thought you had a good point while the system caught up to letting you back in. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and like, like you just said, like for all the reforms that need to happen in my, my den denomination, the bad guys want more central management. And it's right. because I think they know central management is their mechanism to, uh, screw everything up the way they want it screwed up where it has been a, kind of an immune system for us. So right. I think you're right on that. Um, I don't think Presbyterians don't, have a defense against that because if their institution goes, they're kind of done, right? Like they have, like they, they are, it's a harder dig. You have a, you have a, you don't have a 25, 30 year time period or 13 year turning point to change everything. 
you have a generation now you have to go through in order to change. It's it's just, I think it's a different setup. Jason, you're looking at, I don't know what you're thinking. Well, I, I was, I was thinking it was a couple of things, but one of them, I think that the, the poetic movements um, that were going on within and around the church at, at the different times, I think also are, are revealing um, because you had there, there was um, um, in the enlightenment, there was the rise of, it began with the rise of rationalism and the Presbyterian church um, got very worldly in its embrace of rationalism. Um, and when the world moved on, actually it was, it was Christians that started the romantic poetic movements. Um, and uh, it, as those spread, the um, there was all the, the Baptists were much more in that romantic philosophy of, uh, you know, willing to, um, to uh, deal in terms of the emotional state of people. And so I think there was um, also, you know, some issues like that. And then the issue of slavery in America uh, and the abolitionist movement was a major, major issue between the Presbyterians as well. Yeah. Hey, so y'all were talking about kind of the, um, I think y'all were talking about in the history of religion or Christianity in our country, there was a time when Presbyterian was on top, but it became frozen, external, kind of bureaucratic. And when you're saying that, I'm thinking of Great Awakening stuff where an Edwards or, you know, like a Wesley will come in and say, you must be born again. And that it's this um, experiential push, uh, you know, sawdust trail, uh, invitations, moment of conversion um, that comes in to kind of renew Christianity and give it and return some of its vigor. But I don't see that as a substantially credo Baptist project, because I think, again, I think of Edwards, I think of Wesley, I think of Whitfield. I, I don't I mean, I just don't think we were present at the table for that. Do y'all see that differently? We we locked all those guys out of the church, though. <laughs> so they came through, but they had to preach out in the fields because yeah. we, we put yeah. chains on the doors. So I mean, I do think that we should have passed, stoned them. Yeah, it, <laughs> no, it, it, did, it did pass by the institutional body of the church um, it, it, because of I think because of the that worldliness with rationalism. So I, I do think that, unfortunately, it did pass by the church quite a bit. Now, God did reinvigorate and he always does. Right. He's a God. of He's a, he's a resurrecting God. So he's constantly reinvigorating his people. And uh, when they won't let him through the doors, he does it in the fields and then sneaks back in through the basement. He's he is much more insistent that we will serve him than we are. Um, but uh, the the um, I think that the, the Baptists really took off in the 1800s. And a big part of that was um, when the Presbyterian church who had a lot of um, held a lot of public offices uh, didn't partake in the abolitionist movement. Mm. Um, yep. So, yep. so they, they, 
lost their moral authority and they continued to have civic authority, but there, yep. it's only a matter of time before the civic authority goes away. There's a really, I think, helpful book called um, From Office to Profession that walks through the history of of pastors holding public offices and when it became a professional degree rather than um, <clears throat> an elected office or an office that uh, you were placed into. Uh, and it, uh, it basically was up until the abolitionist movement when the, when the church, when the, the, the established church didn't see the abolitionist movement and jump in, um, the established church within a generation lost its establishment and it became, you know, uh, that's when you started going to seminaries for a professional degree an MDiv, um, to, to become a pastor. And so that, and that, you know, I, I think opened the doors for the, um, the, the, anti-establishment church, which I think is what we still have to this day is an anti-establishment church. I'm chewing on that. That's, that's provocative. I, I do think though, I mean, I'm with you on like anti-establishment church. I'm, I'm yeah. with you. Right. I mean, we're an anti-establishment culture. We're an anti-authority culture like that. You can see those port right out, but there is something different between um, say the, you know, the Presbyterian process of ordination and, and my tradition, but then also like the Stone Campbell uh, movement that is restoring the church that uh, I think you end up catching a real shot in the arm or sorry, Mormonism caught a real shot in the arm from because they're thinking, oh, OK, so you're going to restore the church. Yeah, like, I, I get what you're saying about moral authority, <clears throat> but there's also these cultural factors where we're hustling people out and they need spiritual leadership. And who who has the quickest supply chain? And I think that that's a factor in, in how there ended up being more Baptists, you know, later. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I do think though, that the, that the Baptist position does make more sense you know, it, in that kind of gut check sense um, after the, the individualism, you know, takes hold Um and and then it becomes, I think, a you know kind of reinforcing fan wheel, um, uh, because you, I can't imagine, you know, in the fourteen thirteen hundreds, say, a Baptist church existing and surviving and having impact, right? Yeah, Were we um, drowning them or something like that? <laughs> what he said. What, what yeah. he said. I would like to imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> you want some water, do you? I'm sorry. Um, I mean, so, so, does that make sense? Am I? I mean, I'm, and that doesn't mean that's not a that's not not an argument for right or wrong, because you know, um, maybe the maybe the individualism of the Enlightenment or the individual the Enlightenment um, shifting the understanding of the seat of identity and knowledge into the individual um, was a move of the spirit. And so the Baptists are continuing, you know, it, it was just something that needed to be reformed within the church. Um, that, that's, you know, that's why we look back at the scriptures and say, okay, which of these is the right way. But I, I do think that you don't get without the individualism of the enlightenment, you don't get the growth of the Baptist church in America. At the same time, I think there are there are cultural factors, you know, um, 
as well. So because I don't I don't I think because of the sovereignty of God and that the fact that the spirit is the the wind in the sails of history, all of those things actually do hold together. You don't you, it's not a. Is that a yeah. side way of saying that they're all going to become Presbyterians at some point? Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> that God is using it to spread like wildfire so that everybody becomes Baptist and then they all convert. On, they all Jeff, convert back I, into Presbyterians. I, I ain't trying to put words in his mouth, Jeff, but that's, that's, now I say it, that's what I heard because I'm happy about it. But I think that's what you heard too and you ain't happy about it, right? <laughs> I will tell you, I have a real uh, sense that sometimes Reformed Baptists are AAA ball clubs for Presbyterians. I feel like we... <laughs> You know, we got know, a heavy man. hitter who's coming up, and I'm like, oh, yeah. And then they're in the Presbyterian church. And okay, cool. cool. <laughs> Just say his name. Just say his name. Just say it. I know who you Dude. want to talk about. <laughs> no, look, I mean, if you're talking about, when you say say his name, brother, I've got like 15 guys in my life who are good friends. So I'm like, come back. Please come back. I call them Baptist apostates. Come back. <laughs> I haven't we heard that. That's you. good. Hey, Jeff, I don't want to skip past this because I know there's so much to talk about. I'm glad that this is. Um, going, but there's there's something else too. You were talking about CP and Big Eva. Could you work that out for me? What you meant by that? Because I want to understand what you meant. Because to me, when I heard that, I was I know it. I under the, my best criticism of it was, or my best understanding of it was, you were saying, listen. First of all, you said we were bigger than we know, and I just think that's hilarious. I man, I that's, and you're saying there's an opportunity here where. You, you don't want to have the conversation. You don't want to engage because you just want to silence your critics. You don't talk about it and it goes away. I know what you're talking about. I don't about think that's what I said. I'll just be honest. I don't think I said oh, you I'm want so, to silence I'm, your critics. No, 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 you didn't say that part. I'm actually throwing words in your mouth. I'm, I'm, what, I, what I think you mean by that is because that's how Big Eva operates, right? Mm-hmm. What they do is they act like their critics don't exist. Mm-hmm. And so they silence them because they won't talk to them. Jonathan Lehman did that with us right after he came on the show. He did a show with Dever and then just... Act like, hey, I think I ran across some theonomists. It's like, you know you ran across some theonomists. Stop playing. right? And you know who they were. And, and the way that you get rid of them is, you, and then, because you just use a little information for your folks and you just move on. And I was and I was like, I hope you know, like, we're not no, nowhere near that lane. And that's why I wanted to have you on too, because I want you to know, like, man, I want to have this conversation with you. I want to talk to you about it. I didn't write anything because I don't write. And y'all better be happy I don't write. But <laughs> I wanted to make sure I understood, like, when you talk about that big evil line, like, work that out for everybody. Yeah, I mean, it'll just, it'll be dependent upon me establishing a chronology. Um, and yeah. I want to, on the record, so it, I've got uh, no, no, two, no, that's minutes, fine. Uh, two hours, two minutes. On the record, what I wrote was, I don't think y'all are in the big evil uh, river. So, yeah. I, that's on there too, but I, I do think that there's enough um, that there's enough paradigm left over that I was starting to sweat a little in this way. So chronology, you have this incredible show, uh, and man, look, I'm not trying to blow smoke up your skirt or inflate your head, but like there's a lot of people out there who are paying real close attention to Moscow and have staked a lot on what you guys are doing. Uh, mm. So I do think you may be bigger than you think, and you're certainly bigger in affections and um, mm. uh, sort of, I think I use the term in what I wrote, like proof of concept. Like you guys show that a robust Christian culture can exist in an advanced modern West in a way that a lot of us were like, man, is it the Lord's providence that that can't happen? So like y'all are big. You may not be big Eva big, but you're big in a lot of different ways. So in the chronology, you have this great show, a ton of people watch it, 
you know, I'm rooting for y'all to be bigger. I want y'all to push Fox News out. I want people watching cross politics. So people are watching. You make this statement that's um, kind of preloading. We're going to talk about Credo Baptist and implications of their theology. A bunch of us go to the, ba- the app to watch Backstage, and we find out uh, that we're the cause of the transgender crisis. And so, you know, I, me personally, I don't think I'm alone, but I can tell you me personally, I turned into that little dude from inside out when the hair goes, you know, the little anger dude, just the hair goes up. Yeah. So that happens. Um, and then we hear, Hey, um, the, the, you know, the next follow-up after there's kind of a controversy pushback through Twitter is, Hey, we're jocular. We like to fight. We like to throw elbows. And I'm like, guys, that's not where the conversation is. That's not where the objection is. The objection is on, is it essential to credo baptism that we're the cause of the transgender crisis? So I feel like you're talking over here about this thing and all your critics are over here talking about something distinctly different. Mm -hmm. And then Toby tweets a few things and, you know, then the article, the blog comes out and I'm like, now, wait a minute what you just said about the way Lehman handled what he did. I've seen this pattern before. I've seen where like, man, there was this controversial statement. It started a fire of controversy rather than dealing with where the problem really is. They, they deal with something that's kind of adjacent and maybe has some, you know, external similarities to it, but it's not really where the objection is. And they do it on their own platform without somebody who's willing, you know, who's able to go, Hey, no, let's get over here and have the fight where the fight's actually at. And so as a guy who is a supporter, who does see meaningful differences, who's rooting for you tremendously, I'm writing that piece saying, surely you can see as somebody who's watched for three years, Big Eva run this playbook, how I'm starting to kind of get twitchy saying, can can y'all get James White on? Can you get somebody on who's going to meaningfully represent the position that um, – we feel like it's being criticized and can kind of deal face to face. Now I didn't expect I'd be on Knox unplugged because I'm not that significant, but I did expect <laughs> y'all. Neither of us are. Man. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. I mean, if we're playing, which one does not belong? There's, there's a clear category uh, that I belong to. Y'all don't. All my but friends I did, belong. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that. I, I do think like a guy like James White and, and you yeah. know, I talked to Gabe on the phone I knew he was going to do it, but really the thing I want to stress is I, this is going to be different. Y'all are going to show that this is not the case, but can, can this be a learning experience that we like get here quicker and we go ahead and have the fight and then we go have pizza or whatever and, and talk about who landed the best blow. So that's me trying to walk through a chronology and then connect it to what I think I see a pattern in big Eva over the last three years, answering your question. What did I fail to answer? Will? It, did 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 we break that pattern for you so you don't feel like that's it the actually the pattern that's being overlaid? No, man, I think it's confirmed. I'm sorry. I, uh, <laughs> oh, oh, don't do that to me, Jeff. You know what I mean? Because I think uh, that that there's I I enjoyed your critique. I enjoyed everything you said because I was like, this is Jeff is the kind of guy who wants to have that conversation like we like we're having right now. Like you, I know you. You have that conversation all day, and and we don't have a problem having that conversation, but I just want to make sure like, like I've been on the phone with my Baptist brothers, um, 
one of my friends said, do you think that I'm raising a trans kid? And I'm like, oh, bro, that's not <laughs> like, that's not at all. And you said you know, yes. And then I was like, only a little bit. Said, well, um, he is painting his nails. But Toby made a distinction that I thought was really good. And, and you know, because I know my Baptist brothers are thinking like, wait a second. And, and Jeff, correct me if I'm wrong, but there isn't. And I said this earlier, there really isn't a difference when it comes to the cradle position between the Reformed and the run-of-the-mill Baptist at the point of applying the sign, right? There isn't, there's implications that are meant at we, that point. Yeah, we baptize upon profession of faith. Right. And that's, and, regrettably, this, you know, I wish there were more clear lines, and I think there will be in the future, but I wish there I were more so clear too. lines between a guy like me and Rick Warren. You know, yeah, right. But, but tell Toby was making the position because my Reformed Baptists are thinking like, if you think that's that we are um, radical individualistic when it comes to that, like you're missing how we think about it. Right. And, and so I understand what they're saying. And so Toby made that. I said, you're going to have to define like, what's the distinction between one and the other. And he said, and I thought this is really helpful. One is looking in faith for more of the fruit that God is working with their child. Another one is looking and saying, um, uh, when are you going to make a decision? Like, and I think that's, I think that's a very important distinction between how I think my reformed brothers are looking at it and, um, and how versus the run of the mill Baptist, which is like, when are you, when are you going to make this decision? Jump in here and make this decision. And my reformed yeah. brothers are believing that there's, Unless I'm wrong about that, they're believing that there is some reality and connection between their children and the covenant, and they're waiting to see the fruits of that before they apply the sign. Versus they, a lot before the, the water the fruit, the water the fruit once it starts growing. Right. So yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I'm so versus, 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 I promise that was a joke. This is <laughs> you're a comedy writer. Versus saying like I I, I, I don't think I will I laugh at some point. I will laugh. <laughs> versus I I don't even think it's fruit yet. I don't think that's fruit. And I think that you guys would criticize some Baptists who have children that are 13, 14, 15, and 16 who have who their parents are just like oh yeah he had he's not a Christian, and it's like well what are you doing? <laughs> right? Yeah. Like there, there's a, isn't there a difference? I have to believe there's a difference in that because, and I think there's a distinction there between the two where there's a, I think, again, let me try and say this better. So it's, it, am I communicating that clear, Jeff? I mean, you'll find out when I answer you, you know, I may miss, I may miss what you're asking about and you'll have to tell me. Okay. I, I mean, I think you're asking uh, in what ways are we different from, uh, what I would call a more revivalistic, attractional, or Arminian Baptist, and did Toby communicate he was addressing one and not the other? Is that what you're yeah, wanting yeah, to yeah, ask? No, no, yeah, no, no, no. I think yeah, Toby, because I'm asking, I I'm saying that I think my reform brothers are trying to say, how do you dif differentiate us between the other, right? Yeah, because um, it, because it sounds like you're just lumping us all together in that one zone. And mm -hmm. I was asking Toby, how does he do that? And he was saying, well, because I think my Reformed brothers who think covenantally are saying um, something different than the other. And th what the Reformed brothers who are covenantal are saying, as they were trying to look at their kids and saying, okay, 
Um, they want to baptize as they see faith is growing. I hear Tom Askell say, we're just putting a few more logs on, on the fire, right? A few more logs on the fire. So he's communicating there's something that's already on uh, uh, the a few more logs on before maybe the fire is even there. But he's communicating something there that is like he's looking to see the realities of faith inside of his children before he baptizes them versus another kind of baptism that is like, when are you going to choose? Right. When, when are you yeah. when are you going to make the decision? When are you going to okay. decide? You know, what I, mean? I think I think there's a am I right to and it's Toby right, I guess, too, to make the distinction between the two as it relates to applying the sign to their children. Yeah. OK, I'm going to try this as discrete like categories and you tell me what I missed. Yeah. So in discrete category number one, I do think and again, you can tell me I'm stupid or belligerent or whatever, but with the controversy the issue is you've said this is intrinsic to credo baptism and we don't think it is. And so we heard then Toby say, well, I think I gave qualifications that carved credo Baptist out. And I'm going to say, I don't think you did. And so oh, like, credo Baptist or covenantal Baptist. Well, I think the criticism that Jason levied was levied at credo baptism. It was levied at that spot that I share in common with Rick Warren. Mm. And I and so that's where my objection comes from. I don't think it's intrinsic. I think there's this additional thing with Rick Warren that I would call pragmatism, a lack of confidence in God's word, sort of an Arminian approach to man-centered theology that's going to differentiate us. I understood Toby to be saying, oh, no, we accounted for that difference. And in fact, we identified and qualified in a way you should have seen and understood we did. And I disagree with that. And so I'm like, no, Toby, I don't think you did because Knox was talking about covenantal Baptists right before we threw to backstage. So that would be the controversy issue. I do think the controversy arose from feeling like the criticism of credo baptism was unwarranted and the conclusion drawn didn't flow from the premise. So that's the controversy. Now, I'm the perfect guy to talk to about Baptist culture on this because I once was the guy you just described. Like when my oldest child was 13, I was thinking through like, I, this sounds so, it feels so stupid now. But I was thinking through like, I better not let him pray because I don't want him as a condemned sinner to approach God in offense. I want him covered in the righteousness of Christ before he does. And so he needs to watch dad pray and he'll learn how to do those things kind of like a, 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 a goose learns from its parent, you know, by modeling. Um. So I was that person. Um, as my understanding of Reformed theology grew, now with a six-year-old, um, when she says things about the Lord, I encourage her, continue believing, continue trusting in Christ, baby. You pray to the Lord. You ask for help in this regard. You uh, continue to trust Him. When she goes to bed scared, I'm like, Jesus Christ takes care of you, and He won't let anything happen to you that uh, is not in His goodwill. And so... I'm going at that very differently. So the the part that you identified does exist where like, hey, I'm waiting for you to say you believe before I'll treat you like a Christian. That does exist. But I actually think that's the most extreme minority because we don't even practice our man-centeredness particularly well. We have... We basically have a counterfeit version of pedo baptism in children's dedications. And man, we will run a kid, you know, churches that will say we're going to baptize on the, on a credible profession of faith, which is language that 
Credo Baptists use, we will run them into the baptismal at three years old, two years old, four years old. We, I mean, there's a, there's a former SBC president who has, you know, James uh, White does four. I just want you to know that. Okay. Well, I bet he doesn't do it this way. Um, (laughs) Probably true. Yeah. There's a, there's a former SBC president who allegedly, I mean, this is kind of widely known. I've never went and verified it, but he has a, uh, uh, a fire truck slide into the baptismal that they use for their kids and, and like lights go off and streamers shoot up in the air and stuff like that. And so like, I think the, the, the Baptist uh, pastor who says, no, 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 we will not sprinkle your child, uh, but we will immerse them through the fire truck is the biggest version of my tribe. That's getting it wrong. I think the next biggest group is the Tom Askell set because I mean, in the SBC largely because of a lot of Tom's work yeah, ha- have grown to see otherwise. And then yeah. I think the third group, the smallest group is the guy I used to be who was like, mm, uh, I'm credo Baptist. Therefore I can't treat my son like a believer until he makes a credible, mature profession of faith, whatever that means. Right. So those I, think exist. That is, I just think they're I think, small. Oh, I think that group is much larger actually. Dude, I'm because, telling you, I think it's the guys who have, uh, if they could have a fire truck baptismal, they would. And I don't, their numbers I don't, are usually inflated by baptizing super young kids. Yeah, well, they have the church church uh, group that has the children's um, children's church and that stuff like that. But uh, but how, that and how they view their their children though is sim- is synonymous with the top, first one and the end one. The one in the middle, that middle group you're talking about, I think they have a different view of their kids, the view of the kids on the, this end and that end are roughly the same. That's why I put those two together. Right. Okay. So, so the, the view of how they understand and view their children and waiting for them to make a decision is a lot different than um, that other middle group that I think you're talking about, which is like saying, I'm waiting to see the promises of God manifest themselves in my kids, which is what Toby's talking about. That group is different than saying like, well, they made a decision and they made a decision. This group over here and that group over here are doing the same thing. They're just doing it in different places, right? Um, so I put those two groups together. And that's why I think that that's a large group of people who are doing that. And, and matter of fact, and I was, I've met Reformed Baptist pastors who their sons are 15, 14, 13, Reformed, who are in our, who are in our, like I say, our tribe, our, <laughs> our SBC Reformed Covenant Baptist tribe that, have these older children that refuse to acknowledge the reality of, uh, of th- their relationship to the church or Christianity whatsoever. They're not looking for any fruit. They're like that one and two group. And I've talked to a lot of, unfortunately I've talked to a lot of them. I was, um, I was at a, a, a church in Vegas and they're one of the guys, I was, his son, he was there for some convention, um, but he was visiting another church there and his son wasn't taking communion as it was passing by. And then afterward, I asked him, I said, so his son's like 14 years old. I said, why isn't your son taking communion? And he's like, well, he's not a Christian. And I said, well, why not? Aren't your children supposed to be believers as a pastor? Right. And he was like, oh, yeah, no, 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 We don't we don't do any of that. Right. Um, and, uh, and I was like, well, what are you teaching that he hasn't come to the reality of the truth that um, he should be a Christian right now? So, like, that's that's what I mean, like it. Some of my Baptist friends, I'm like, listen, I don't want to talk to you as a Presbyterian. I just want to talk to you as a good Baptist. Like, what is going on that your kid at the age of 15 is not 
embracing the realities of the family that he's in. Yeah. So, I mean, I want to, I want to account for my tribe in that, on that front about children who don't believe, you know, there's the parallel text uh, in the pastorals that says basically the house is well ordered. And so a lot of guys will read that in, they will read those in synthesis and say, you know, they believe they're in submission to their father's uh, household, but they're not like wanton hellions. But look, I, I mean, I went to high school. I know guys, kids that live like hellions are there too. So like that's present in Baptist churches. I'm not denying any of that. I guess what I would say to that, Knox, is I actually see that as a dilemma for both of our tribes because I mean, there's a lot of guys in my circles whose kids are um, – and remember that I'm going to say that the people who baptize their kids super quick, that looks more like a pedo Baptist approach than a credo Baptist is the, is the biggest group. And so there's a lot of people in my lifetime who I can say like, your kid got baptized when he was four because he was professing at that time. He's grown up and shown no uh, interest in the things of the Lord. He's um, he's indifferent. He's living in a sinful lifestyle, but you're going to go ahead and keep calling him a Christian because he got baptized back when he was a baby. And you're going to say things like, well, you know, uh, they, you know, they may depart for a season, but they'll return, you know, things like that. And I want to say to them, like, you need to be evangelizing your child and you need to be warning them about the dangers of uh, neglecting such a great treasure they have and being raised in a Christian household. But I also have a bunch of Presbyterian friends who, if I go look around, I can say, oh, that's a covenant child who was baptized and, and raised as a member of the external covenant, but now is doing the same thing. He He's evidencing no fruits of the spirit. He's not repentant of sin. He's giving himself increasingly uh, pronounced expressions of sin, but the church isn't disciplining him because he's a covenant kid. And what the what they need is, what that kid needs and that family needs is for the church to say, you are not keeping covenant. You are. You don't have a credible claim to be in the covenant. And I, I think where I live deep south, would you, uh, you would, can sort out a whole bunch of kids I have, who I have a quick are living question. that way. Sorry, Jason. Let me get this through. Quick. Okay. You can sort out a bunch of kids who fit the external paradigm, and it would be hard to tell which one was the Presbyterian and which was the Baptist kid. So there you go, Jason. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, no, because you said uh, you used two phrases that I'm wondering if you, if you meant them as parallels or not. So you said you, uh, but now I can't think of what it was. Is it a credible, Sorry. um, credible profession? Uh, you said, Oh yeah. Are you in the external covenant? Ah, do you remember what he said, David? Cause I, I'm trying to make sure I understand what you, what it was that you were saying, but well, could I cycle back and just pitch my understanding of uh, yeah, yeah, you, you know the theology of the table for y'all, and you tell me where I've got it wrong. My understanding is that generally speaking, a child born to a believing household is assumed to be a member of the uh, covenant community by virtue of their parents' faith until they evidence uh, clearly that they are not, and so until they, you know, kind of evidence, hey, no, this is not someone who has wedded faith to the externals. Like you said earlier, uh, we're going to treat them as uh, communicant. They come to the Lord's table. We're going to treat them as members of the covenant community. Um, 
and again, if they if they get egregious in loving sin and participating in it, we will say no. You um, you're showing signs you're not part of the covenant community. You haven't wedded faith to uh, your communicant status. Am I wrong on that? Uh, I think that's a really good Baptist definition of pedo baptism. Yes, <laughs> but this is why I was trying to ask. I was trying to ask the question. So, um, in my understanding of the, the Westminsterian type of Presbyterianism, the, the reason that you baptize a kid is because the parents have been given promises about their children in their own baptism, Mm -hmm. their baptism contains promises about their kids. And then, so then by faith, they are believing those promises about their children Wait, that um, was really important about, for baptism. You baptize your kids because of what? So you by so you you respond. You know, the the promise of God has um, that's a general promise. I will be a God to your children is yours specifically in your baptism. And so when you have children, you have a promise that those children that God will be a God to those children. Right. And the way that God puts His name onto a person, where He said. This this one is mine. I've, I've claimed any child that comes from you that's a, I've claimed as my own. So by faith, you present that child to the church to be baptized because that's how God puts his name on a child. So the spirit puts his name onto a child by baptism. And but the promise is in the baptism is is embedded or is is presented to in the baptism of the parent. Okay. Um, I don't see that as immediately in conflict with what I was saying. I feel like I kind of reduced it down to a pragmatic cash value kind of summary of it. But um, I guess, Jason, my follow-up would be then, so what about the kid who has the promises or the parents who have the promises on behalf of their children in their own baptism, who then grows to some degree of maturity and denies the faith or lives in wanton sin without repentance and starts to look like the kind of person who should be subject to church discipline. That's kind of the, the paradigm I'm getting at. How would you describe that? Um, you, you mean that so like a, a child that grows up and leaves the faith, that sort of yeah, thing? Yeah. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely Baptist. And so I'm going to say, yeah, yeah. Leaves the faith from your perspective. My camp would call it never been. Yeah, in never the was. Faith. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But there's a difference between so leaving the faith, right. Which is an objective category and, and walking away and not having faith or something. I, I, I was using the faith and the way that it's used, like the faith once and for all delivered to the saints, that sort of thing. So um, that's not super clear to me. So like, my, I assume that there's a possibility where a child could never authentically have placed their confidence in Christ. Maybe even at no point in their experience of themselves has really believed there is an external God to whom they're accountable. But they're they're obedient children to some degree for a time period in their father's household. And so when he says, "Hey, come to the table with me," and he's you know within your system, I can watch. He's trying to be a faithful dad. He's trying to give them the means of grace. He's trying to encourage faith in them, but nonetheless, it's, it's never something they participated in. And then eventually they externalize that and say, ah, it's just never been me. So it, 
so you're asking how do I explain that or what I'm not sure what you're asking. Well, you seem to balk at me saying there was a version of that in Baptist churches and uh, Presbyterian churches that look very similarly uh, externally. I so apologize. To... I apologize if I seem to balk. I wasn't I wasn't okay. trying to. I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to sort some things out um in what you're saying. So this is not this is not me balking at anything. I I'm um trying to legitimately find where the difference is. Um, so I, so here's my explanation of that, right? The, that you keep covenant by faith, right? The, the general promises of God become yours particularly and actively in your life by faith, right? Faith is the mark of covenant keeping. And so if a child walks away, um, from, from, the Lord, then the people that had the promise about that child, um, weren't, didn't, weren't exercising faith, which is why the general promise didn't general covenant promise didn't become true of them in particular. Right. So salvation covenant keeping is always by faith, not by works. Sure. So when you say the ones who had the promise for that child, that's in reference back to what you said earlier about the parents having the promise for their child in their baptism. Correct. Yeah. And so if I'm understanding you correctly, the reason the child would walk away is because the parents weren't exercising faith uh, in the promises they had in their own baptism. Am I understanding you rightly on that? About, uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, that, so I also understand you that the child himself in the experience of his own faith or lack thereof is kind of tertiary or to the side, because ultimately what you're framing in this as is the parents did not exercise faith in the promises they have in their own baptism. I'm not sure. I'm not following how that follows it. I, I well, think and they may not. I'm just trying to make sure yeah. I, I'm trying to figure out how these things went up. Yeah. So, um, because uh, within a within a corporate covenant, individuals still have responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, the child is responsible for their response to God giving them promises, just like the parents are responsible. And the responsibility doesn't it doesn't it's it's you know it's like God's will and man's will. The, those aren't things that push one another out. It, you know, it's not like the the you know, you're going to the beach and you can only fit so many cans of soda in the cooler. Um, you know, I think responsibility within a covenant context can overlap. So you have multiple okay, people yeah. responsible. Okay. So, so, so the, the child, child and the parent overlap. are both responsible, Yeah, okay. uh, but they're responsible to the promise that God gave them. Right. And the response that they're responsible for is faith. And that faith is a gift which is why Romans nine comes after Romans eight, right? That so, cause election is, is the answer to the, this particular problem, you know, where you say, Oh wait, but how is it that in some situations, you know, you've got this promise, but then the person doesn't have faith. How, how does that work? This is, well, you've got the eternal election. That's a, that's a category outside of which we have information about, except for the fact that it, it do, does happen. Right. So, um, 
so ele- I think election is the ultimate answer to this particular problem um, of, you know, you've got promises that sometimes don't, a person doesn't have faith. Faith is a gift from God. And so, but that we're responsible to have. Uh, this okay, is the so big can... Augustinian uh, dilemma. Lord, sure. grant me what you have required of me. Sure. Right. And, you know, I'd like to have chastity, but maybe not right now. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that Augustinian dilemma is also a real yeah. dilemma. Uh, so with the, if, if I'm tracking, um, and there's no subtext here, I'm just trying to get squared away where we might be differentiating. So the, the child and the parent have an overlapping kind of failure to believe the promises to exercise faith in the promises. Right. The kind of kid that I'm trying to talk to knocks about that I think looks very similar in a Baptist church and in a Presbyterian church is the kid who is not exercising faith but his parents, as best they understand it, are. And the parents being the dominant figures in the relationship, both you know in the home and in the church, are handicapping the church from doing what is needful for that child's soul, which is to address them as a meaningful, address them in a meaningful way about their own culpability and say, Hey, you're not uh, exercising faith. You're also not demonstrating that you care anything about honoring Christ with your life. Now you're subject to church discipline. I think both Credo Baptist and Pado Baptists, in my experience, do a bad job caring for those kids because they're, I mean, there's just a lot of emotional turmoil for the parents that are bound up in that. And so, like, I think there's a problem for both of us. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, no, I, I don't think, uh, yeah, I don't think I disagreed with you, but just, I know we went down a whole nother sidetrack. That's a whole nother conversation. What I wanted to get at with the, what I was bringing that up though, Jeff, was to say that the distinction that Toby was making between reformed Baptists, covenantal Baptists versus the average Baptist was that perspective on how they looked at their kids in the, in the process of baptism. So while they share the sign for what would, no one will be able to differentiate between the two. There is a difference in how they view the promises towards their kids from God versus how uh, a covenant of the Baptist views it versus how a modern um, American uh, Jeffries, you know, um, Rick Warren Baptist would would view that. Does that make sense? That's what I think was. was I, try- I think so, Knox. But where I'm at on that is that I think the biggest group is a people who inconsistently practice almost like a Roman Catholic view of sacramentalism within the Baptist church. You made a profession at a very young age. We baptized you, and therefore it is unquestionable as to whether or not you're a Christian because mom and dad really want it to be so. And yes, that I mean, I'm going to look at my kids very differently than that kind of person, but I'm that first group, the person who says, I basically need emotional confirmation through baptism that my kids are going to be all right. Even though I'm a credo Baptist who says there has to be a credible profession of faith is the biggest group in broad American uh, churches that are baptistic in practice. Does that answer your question? Hopefully Lord willing, maybe. 
I definitely agree that most modern American evangelicals are more like Roman Catholics, especially in the high medieval ages. <laughs> I mean, um, we're supposed to be low church when it comes to uh, sacramentology or ordinances, my credo Baptist tradition, but some of them treat that as no very point. superstitious. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, for sure. Okay. And I think, I think there's the, there's a, uh, there's other things as well in terms of like all of the music happening up front and not from the congregation and the worship being more of a show than the participation of the congregation in the life of the the service of God and all those things. I mean, I think we're due for another reformation all over again. It's just in the lines are newly drawn and (laughs) Yeah, and, I mean, children's church, and I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff that spirals out of that that y'all already talked about. But I'm just saying, yes, I'm with you on that. Um, Jeff, did we accomplish anything? <laughs> I uh, feel like we. I, you was, accomplished being very gracious to me as a nobody who wrote a blog post, <laughs> and uh, not well, see, I was a no, I was a nobody first that they brought on, and I I still think it's really funny that everybody was like the Farley controversy because I'm just, I'm just a nobody that just have been spent 20 years in the library and I poke my head out and all of a sudden it's <laughs> well, trouble. I'll t- I'll tell I, you I profited this. from what you've done with cross politic, man. I mean, I listened to that, uh, those first metaphysics conversations with Knox four or five times. I, I, I used them to, for teaching material a couple of times. And so, I mean, oh, that's awesome. That's so good to yeah. hear. Cause it's, it, yeah, I'm I'm happy to have the conversations, but it's it's great to hear that they're blessing people. I'll say this, you know, Jeff, when there was last SBC I was at, SBC twenty nineteen, was it? Twenty no no, twenty 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 one? Is this 20, the one where we had to like gorilla photo? I mean gorilla no, record people. You don't even know. Like <laughs> you were there, man. You were there. We were in the trenches, you know, so like I looked around and you I, you were there. Like it wasn't even a question. You were down, holding it down. And I, I was wish like, I had been there when the red badges were talking to Hannah. I wish I'd have known what was going on because yeah, uh, no, I mean, I'm, not, I'm, I'm nobody's like brawler. But as a Southern Baptist pastor, I could have been like, you need to take yourself back to whatever hole you hide out in. <laughs> but I mean, so when you're in the trenches and you in the like, it was it was close to physical at that point. Like they're, they're yeah. it's getting real. And when you look around and you see your brother, like I got you, you know, like that, that doesn't go away. That doesn't go away. And, I, and, and so I, you know, I really appreciate you. And, you know, we've talked before and I just think you're a good dude and a good brother. And I think you love the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, part of, again, I was just reading your, your post and the way you were lining up saying, Hey, I'm starting to feel like twitchy was lining up. I was like, Oh man, I don't want my brother to feel twitchy in any way. Like, so if, if nothing else is like, I hope the Twitch goes away <laughs> while we're still working through the, like, because while we're still working through again, I, I, I agree with what Jason said and maybe there's more things I want to attach to it to make it clear. And I hope that we did that here, but I still agree. When I was talking to James, James, and we'll talk to him Thursday, he'll be on the show Thursday. James just thought it was absurd to think that what the church does affects the world and the culture. Like he just thought that mm. was an absurd posture, you know, posturing. He's like, you think if they're sitting there 
you know, and I talked to him. <laughs> James was, he wasn't yelling at me, but his voice and volume was a little high. And uh, <laughs> he gave it to me for like 50 minutes on the phone. And when we got done, I was like, I know that you're upset with me and pissed. He's like, I'm not pissed at you. I'm like, that's my words, my words. He's like, I know, I said, I know you're upset and pissed with me, but I'm just happy to talk to one of my heroes for 50 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and, and it really, and that's really like my, like, that's, that's where I, I, I am. I love James. James was there. For me, when I'm going through the um, Islam in the black community in the north side of Minneapolis, and there was nobody else's website to go to to read about how you deal with Nation of Islam and Islam issues. He's been yeah. there, and to be able to talk to him about this was like more of a joy for me, even though I'm getting kind of hit with on the side of head. And so, like, <laughs> but I, I just wanted to, like, you said, hey, let's have the conversation. That's what I want to do. I want to have the conversation. And I do believe there is, and we might not, this might be interesting. I think that we can look at certain things and trace them, right? Especially the more mm -hmm. that I'm learning about and, and trace like this, connect, this is connected here. Not all things are connected in every way. And this, that's why I enjoy the pushback when you said this might be more of a Presbyterian problem than it or a headwetter problem than it is a Baptistic problem. But I don't want to level at your feet. And I'm like, Jeff, that's actually a good point. Level it at the feet, man. <laughs> it, it was actually Tom Hicks point. I just want to know that I stole it. Uh, but I think but that's a good point. I really think that's a valid and good point. And like, let's have that conversation. But what I don't want to think, I don't want my Baptist brothers to think is like, I want to throw something at them and I'm not willing to take that back and we'll have a conversation because there's a reality that. And if we're going to say, hey, this is us and judgment starts at the house of God, we're being judged, obviously. Who stole the stuff? <laughs> Where's Aiken at? <laughs> right. And if you're saying, hey, man, look, I don't care what y'all say. It ain't happening over here. We we doing what we supposed to do, you head wetters. What are y'all doing over there? And you're like, and you start throwing it back. I like, I'm like, good. Okay, let's go back and forth until, but somebody stole something. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's why I don't want to leave it. It's like, well, nobody stole something. This is just the process that happens randomly. Well, I don't believe it's random. Like I'm yeah. covenantal. There isn't random to this, right? There's something that's happening inside of the church that's fueling inside of the culture and then we're reciprocating we're drinking it back in and then it's creating worse infection the worst infection might not always be that but something's going on and mm -hmm. whether it's us or we gotta there's some repentance that needs to happen and so i appreciate it like when you said hey let's have the the, the, the conversation let's have the battle i want you to know bro like Absolutely. And I'm willing to take it. Tom Hicks, that was a good point from him. And I'm glad that he he made the point because that's something to think about. Well, okay. And this is why I said, well, it might just be even the fact that Presbyterians are in the back seat while Baptist culture is driving society and we're giving them directions. I don't have a problem <laughs> communicating that either or believing that. But whatever it is, there's something cosmologically metaphysically that is affecting us and how we are operating theologically or trusting theologically so that we see the world in a kind of place that it's not and we're operating in that way and it's bringing the judgment of god down on us like that that's that's you know what i mean mm -hmm. I'll, you, I'll give you i'll give you last word jeff and then we'll end well i'll try to not take forever on that i'm with you on that and i'm you know based on your account maybe i'm more with you on that than james white is um there's a category of guys like james white uh, or John MacArthur, who says like every good Calvinist uh, Baptist is going to be dispensationalist. I don't agree with that. I think that's, I just think it's patently false. But if I'm sitting in Dr. MacArthur's presence, I'm going to say, thank you, Dr. MacArthur. I appreciate you letting me know that. Right. I mean, he's just, uh, he's a man I respect. I want to treat him with respect. I'm not going to try right. to argue him down. Right. But 
where James and I agree, I suspect, is that credo baptism is not the cause of the transgender crisis. Although I'm very, and following after y'all, I'm very open to the idea the church has a meaningful uh, impact on culture that it has to be self-consciously responsible for and police. I did not think that was the conversation that cross politic was having coming out of the backstage episode. I actually did think, and I, and I wrote as much uh, so I can lean on that, that y'all would get there, but I wanted to get there to that explicit conversation rather than wasting time on stuff about like, Baptists don't like it when we elbow them in the ribs. That that was what uh, that's what I wanted to get past. Get to having the actual argument over what the implications of credo baptism are, and then get on to whatever the Lord would do next. Because I think uh, I mean I think the orcs are over the hill. We need to be we need to, guys to stand shoulder to shoulder rather than facing each other in battle. If that makes sense. Yeah, Jason. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I let you rap too. <laughs> yeah, uh, agreed. <laughs> Am I allowed to just be agreeable? <laughs> I think. Sure. sure. Now, we may not agree <laughs> on whether or not that right. credo baptism causes what you know you yeah. think it causes, but what I think we can agree on, and what my piece I hope was aimed at. I mean, I'm not a perfect communicator. Is it's I think this good. is the specific conversation that needs to happen i didn't have ambitions that i would be involved in it but i didn't want to see a james watt a tom askell somebody yeah. like that kind of representing our side of the fence on directly yeah and i i personally i know that i'm i am a nobody but it, the, if the controversy does get named after me i would love to talk to james white i'm not a crc representative so i don't know if that accomplishes everything that i think people are hoping to accomplish but um, I would love to have the conversation because for me, the, the, um, you know, the, 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 oh, what would you call it? The, the, uh, poetically unified cosmology, um, that we present to our children, I think is absolutely important. Right. And so I want to have the conversation. Um, are we presenting to our children the a truly a, a true representation of what God says about them right that's the conversation I want to have all day long up and down and and I'm I mean if I'm happy to be corrected um, and that's why I'm not I'm not scared to put to say what I think um, I you know I, I think it's it's unfortunate that you know I got called a uh, liar and a slanderer and all sorts of things for saying what I think. But I don't, I also think that, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't end up corrected if I never say what I think. Um, hmm. if, if I, if I don't point out connections that I think I see, I don't end up corrected. So I'm happy to have those conversations. And, uh, you know, I hope, I hope, I hope we spend the next, you know, 10 years discussing the poetic implications of how we, uh, do the sacraments and whether or not we are, submitting to the cosmological realities that scripture teaches that's the conversation i want to have the next 10 years so um well it's engaged (laughs) it's officially engaged yeah well and knox can i can i tell you that um i appreciate you bringing somebody on to do it and i appreciate you're going to do it multiple times and i do think that's it that's why so many of us 
are rooting for what y'all are doing. We want you not just to body Fox News out. We want you, we want you to body the Gospel Coalition out and all these other groups out. Um, and then we want to we want to meaningfully replicate it. Uh, what y'all are doing, what Moscow is doing in other local contexts, not clone it, but meaningfully replicate it because we think y'all have shown us a, um, a concept that really honors Christ and has legs because he's blessing it. Well, brother, it's, that's extremely humbling. You don't even know how much. So thank you. Um, I'm just happy to hold somebody's water. So that's my position. I, I hold water. And you undersell yourself, man. You, you well, doing it, man. I don't buy it. Nobody don't, watching buys it. That's, that's, probably, <laughs> that's, that's because they don't know me as well as I know me. <laughs> but if, if God's giving me a mic, but I want to be faithful to to love my brothers, to communicate well and intended, and then to have a conversation about it where I think it's like, okay, this is – what was it like during the Reformation where guys were sitting around at boosters having this conversation and having it in a way where, um, you know, and Jeff, you might not be a perfect representation of this. Actually, I know you're not. There were some brothers that were so offended that they, they didn't even want to engage in the conversation that I was trying to talk to. And some of it, some people use that moment as a way to like stone you. And it was like, well, I, I don't want to talk to those guys because they were never a part of the the guys who we were talking to who are, who are friends anyway. If they're picking up stones that quick, um, my friends are going to do what you did. Would you sent me? And I didn't get it until late. You sent me a Twitter message and said, hey, man, uh, I'm going to talk about this. I just want to give you a heads up. And I was like, my dude, thank you. Right. Like, I appreciate that. You know, and you didn't have to do that. Like, you know, you didn't you didn't owe me that. But you did. You know, and I appreciate that. And. And so I just want to say thank you. And I appreciate this conversation. That's all I'm going to say. How about that? Well, I'm rooting for you. I don't, I don't know <laughs> oh or not. I mean, I, I want to be forthright, but particularly with guys that I think are the good guys and who've been friendly and tried to be, uh, tried to be helpful and, and kind. So anyway, I, you mean, you're welcome for a Twitter DM, but thanks for bringing me on and give me a chance to talk back. You know, but that's how, but I think that, the, and what we're trying to be here, that's always what we're about. Like we've, we talked to guys, who no one knows. Yeah. And, and we put people, you know, I, I think you can tell us about our conferences. Our conference isn't the kind of conference that you come and find a star studded group. It's not how we're trying to do things. We're trying to bring people around who we think are important and who are mm-hmm. adding something to the conversation. Even if people don't know who they are, because, you know, a brother who is thinking well covenantally is somebody everybody needs to be in conversation with. Right. And that's yeah. where the importance is, is in the brotherhood. Right. And this is to Jason's point that that person is bringing something collectively to us that we need to, ha- that we need to hear. And how do we as Christians build platforms? This is why the FLF network exists, build platforms so that people can hear other folks who God has blessed with wisdom be able to influence other folks and we all grow from it. I mean, a lot of people that started the network, they weren't, I mean, um, AD Robles was the only person that was most popular. Everybody else, most people didn't even know who they were. You know, Matt Williams, nobody knew who Matt Williams was, you know, how to build a tent, but he was a, he's a brilliant guy. who has got a lot of good. Did it freeze up for you too, Jason? It it did. Yeah, but it's, it's recording on his end, so I'm sure it's not Local information up to give on how to build businesses, and I love them to death, you know. So, and nor do I ever want to be built yeah. that way. I always want to be in the kind of place where you hear your brothers, you engage your brothers, and you have the conversation that most people aren't willing to have. So, anyway, I appreciate you, you regularly so- di- yeah. displaying that. 
Yeah, yeah man. Uh, this is a long conversation. I don't know if anybody's <laughs> going to listen to it, but I needed to have it. It's been, it's been, you know, so thanks, Jeff. Yeah. Thanks, man. Appreciate Pleasure it. to meet thanks, you. Jason. You too, Jason. Yeah. All right, yeah. Jason. Bye, buddy. Right. I'll talk to y'all later. Ya. I got to go to dinner. <laughs> All right. See ya.